Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Bob and Bill. We got our boy Chris Richard on today. Hey, hey, hey what's for, up, y'all? Thanks hey, for Chris. being here, man. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. We got to do the obligatory cheers. Okay, absolutely. Wh- what does obligatory mean? It means obligated to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it means. Oh, I didn't feel obligated then. <laughs> um, well, I genuinely wanted to cheers him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was a changed yeah. name. To that was a consensual cheers. <laughs> Um, all right, so before we get started, we just want to mention that if you guys have any questions, suggestions, or unpopular opinions yourselves, send them to the bottom of the bill at gmail.com. Uh, we want to promote some shows coming up. We're playing at Jack Rabbits on February 5th for the 22nd year anniversary of Jack Rabbits cool. with uh, Alchematic and Mr. Cool. Mr. Cool, what a great and name. 22 years of Jack Rabbits, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah man. I'm pretty, awesome. pretty stoked to be playing it, honestly. It's going to be with a, such a great lineup. It's going to be fun. Yeah, that's um, cool. You can get your tickets on our website at sidehustletheband.com or uh, at uh, Jack's Live, I think, is doing it on their website also. Uh, I've got no... We've got no Hangout Express shows to promote or solo shows to promote. You got any shows coming up? No. Chris, you got any shows coming up? <laughs> uh, no, not at the moment. I don't. All right. So, uh, well, let's get into it. How did you get started playing music? Give us some background. Oh, man. Uh, so, I grew up uh, playing music in school. Uh, middle school, I wanted to learn how to play the trumpet. Um, and that was such a terrible idea. Um, uh, yeah, so the trumpet didn't work out, and then when it came around to the next school year, I was like, ah, oh, well, let's go for this drum thing. Um, so, you know, my parents were very reluctant to buy a drum set for me um, just because of the sheer noise that it was going to create. Sure, I think yeah. that was really th- the biggest issue, but they finally kind of caved. I got into a middle school band, started playing a little bit more drums, and then... Uh, Honestly, church was was huge. Uh, so, uh, you know, I played in a youth group and stuff like that. And uh, a local musician, he's been in a ton of bands. A guy named Patrick Bass uh, was a killer drummer that was there. And he was uh, a little bit younger than me. He went on to play in Our Finest Hour. I think he was like wow, 10 yeah. years younger than everybody else in that band at the time. It was wow. kind of insane. Uh, maybe not quite that old, that much younger, but... Uh, he kind of showed me a lot of the way of just kind of finding groove. Um, and then throughout high school, uh, started playing in a lot of bands, went into marching band, uh, you know, played on the baseline and then in sophomore year moved to center snare section leader. Um, and it just kind of grew from there, man. Uh, you know, started playing in metal and hardcore bands in high school, um, just cause that's what I was into. Um, lots of shows at Jackrabbits and uh, the Imperial and the the Pit, uh, all the God, pits. That place was oh, awful. man! So uh, <laughs> they had a cage, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah they it. did. Yeah, never, yeah, they never, had never a went there. Chain link fence. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was a chain link fence. It wasn't even a cage. Like, <laughs> well, it was initially a cage. Then like, they cut a section of I it off remember that. and made it into, like, a fence. Yeah. It, w- it was very strange. It was almost like a Duncan booth. You know, like the Blues <laughs> Brothers when they're throwing up. You, you can hit the drummer if you try real hard. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, man, that's that's really what it was. And I, I, you know, I picked up guitar a little way through the process just because I wanted to be more involved in, like, the writing process of music. Um, so, you know, I can work my way around the guitar and, and play a little bit. So that, that let me put in a little more creativity to the, the music than just playing drums, um, which was a cool thing. And it, it just really blossomed from there, man. Um, I, it was, it was a passion for the groove, man. I just love funky groovy. Uh, yeah, that's, 
the pocket. That's where I, that's where I want to be all the time. You gotta explain what, what to Bill the what the pocket is. He doesn't. Okay, he legit no, doesn't don't know understand what, what the pocket. He's a keyboard. All right, listen. No, 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 no. And I've, I've, I just think that everyone has their own definition for it. See, all right, he's, so, do, he's doing so the listen, head movement like start, like when Matt's you start doing, grooving it. like this. This might start, be the most popular. You start grooving like this. Yeah. And then when you hit that spot right in the back before you're gonna start to come forward. All right. Okay. That's that snare. That's the pocket. Okay. All right. That's the pocket. <laughs> you know, you're constantly working your way in and out of the pockets right here. Oh, there's the pocket. Yeah. You know, it's you always that, describe it. You gotta be there, man. And uh, it's a great place to be. I imagine so. Uh, never, never actually been there before, but uh, oh, we, uh, we I want I want to make a, a TV <laughs> series where I just go around and asking every musician what the pocket is because every single person has a different definition of it. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I know what yeah. the pocket is. Yeah, but you don't know what the pocket. No, I've never is. been there. Yeah. I, I want he does. someone. I just explained to him yeah. what the pocket was. Part three of the limited <laughs> series is is me getting into the pocket. Oh, I would love for that day to happen. Yeah. Holy. Shit, that and I finally get so it, easier. and then it's and then it's me doing every single thing that everyone said. I'm like bobbing my head, and then also just like just like yeah, I'm and doing then, like this. playing in time. Oh, yeah, man, and also playing amazing. in time, oh, but but yeah, but it. better in time. You're in the pocket. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, you're really in the pocket. Yeah. So the pocket's <laughs> like one of those things where where it's like you don't really know how to describe it, but you know it when you hear it. Oh yeah. You know it when you oh, feel yeah. it. It's like man, that's that's a fuck. He's in the pocket, bro. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, man. That's how I've always focused as far as like being a drummer. I, I, I wanted to never be the flashiest, like best drummer because that's just that was never my focus, man. But being a solid, you know, rhythmically steady pocket drummer, that you know, that was just always what, what got to me. You know, I mean. So, so Corey Wong, a guitar player from Wolfpack, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, one of the guitar players. Uh, you listen to Wolfpack at all? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're familiar with their sound, mm-hmm. all that super like pocket guitar playing. Oh yeah, that's like all Corey Wong, just like his. I mean, obviously the rhythm section is amazing too, but Corey Wong's got this very unique uh, rhythm to his playing, and he talks about he was in drumline also when he was like younger, and uh, so he talks about his awareness of you know what part of the beat because like when you're playing with a bunch of snare a bunch of snares it's like if you're not all on the same page it, it just becomes like one big flam kind of kind of effect yeah 100 percent. so he he, he thinks he thinks about like like target practice you know it's like you're putting you're, you're you're emphasizing like different parts of the beat you're figuring out like you're really paying attention to every little subdivision because you're it's because you're practicing target practice basically pretty it's, incredible this is this it has enough material for a six-part limited series so I'm just letting you know <laughs> so waiting for that netflix deal so do you feel like the drum line helped you with with like pay pay attention in that kind oh, of regard man absolutely uh you know i find it funny to like get later in life and and see how many of especially the drummers uh that i was inspired by that you know grew up playing on drum lines uh you know and actually played in drum cores um man there's nothing that will ingrain a metronome into your head like walking through a parking lot in 100 degree florida weather in the summer being with a metronome being blared through a speakerphone oh my god as loud as possible while you count in your head one two three four two two i mean it literally I feel like I cannot walk out of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I catch myself all the time walking behind someone, and they're, they're, my feet aren't in time with theirs, and I'll actually shuffle to get my left and right back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's it's, so it's such a weird thing 
um, that I don't even realize, but I catch myself doing it all the time. And I, I definitely think that drumline's all about being exactly on the beat and every instrument, uh, you know, has its particular, you know, spot in that measure, you know, and whether that's to rest or whether that's to play a quarter eighth or, you know, whatever it may be, drumline is very much about everybody being on the same page at the same time. Um, and that definitely ingrained a lot into me in the way that I kind of write music, um, especially with, you know, Spore and some of the later projects I got into, which were more like improv. They, they still had a, a very structured skeleton to them. Uh, you know, there was still like this intro verse, chorus, second verse, you know, outro, you know, bridge section, outro, and that was it. You know, they were, they were very structured because that was the way that I was ingrained to play music. Um, and then kind of taking it to a, a different aspect with the improv kind of adds a cool aspect to it that changes things up every single time. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, drumline played a huge role in the way that I play and write music. Huge role. Um, did you come from a musical family at all? Mm. All right, so uh, my my dad does not play guitar. My stepdad rips guitar. Really? Okay, rips, man. Okay, <laughs> and uh, and his brother rips guitar even harder. It's unreal. Uh, they're they're both like Almond Brothers, Clapton heads, you know, and they just sit around and just finger pick and noodle around and play stuff that I just aspire to maybe one day think could be possible for my fingers to do yeah you know but and they're they're incredible but uh really most of like my musical aspect came from uh, musical influence came from uh friends outside of my family like i had a lot of friends i grew up skateboarding a lot of them happened to play guitar uh, you know and everybody was always looking for a drummer that seemed yeah. to always be the thing when you were younger. Like there was a thousand guitar players for every one drummer. Yeah. So I kind of figured, hey, let's pick up an instrument that could be useful somewhere, um, you know, and it, that allowed me to just kind of expand from there. But no one in my family really, uh, I guess my grandfather was a killer guitar player, um, you know, very much traditional finger, finger picking style, acoustic guitar, classical, classical guitar, um, but killer guitar player. Um, but I, he lived in Indiana, so I didn't really get much influence from him musically. Right. Um, you know, so it was a lot of just the people that I hung out with and, you know, I got, got into punk rock when I was a sixth grader and, and I guess it was, a, that it was all downhill from there, you know, and the <laughs> famous newfound glory album words. <laughs> Bro, I, I remember, I remember all of the, all of the, the, I don't even know if you want to call it punk. I don't, it was emo. Yeah, it was like emo. Pop, it was pop punk. punk. Yeah, yeah. Pop it was pre-emo. It yeah, it's pre-emo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bubblegum punk. It wasn't dashboard confessionals, but there's another no, word no, for no. it. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Pop but punk. I, pop punk. Yeah. I just That's remember that called. coming out as, as, and I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm, I, that was about sixth grade. Yeah, when mm -hmm. I like figured out all that stuff. Like, well, this when Good, Good Charlotte came out, and I, yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't like this. I love <laughs> I loved Good Charlotte, man. I didn't. I was into it. I was into it. I, I wasn't so much into Newfound Glory or like or like Blink One Eighty Two. For some reason, I really liked Good Charlotte. I don't know why. I just did. I, I thoroughly enjoy Good Charlotte. Uh, Blink One Eighty Two, hands down, most influential band for me as yeah. far as like my drumming, and that probably has so much more to do with Travis Barker than it does sure. somewhat the band as a whole. But 
at the same time, that's that's one group that I could put on every single album in the discography and not skip a single song and enjoy it the whole way through, have a good time listening to it, no matter what kind of mood or day it is. I could throw on some Blink-182, and it's, it kind of just makes it things a little bit uh, easier, you know? I, yeah. I can't not, like, know every single word to a Blink-182 song. It just, yeah. it just I mean, it's happened. It's not possible. That's, that's how we, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> when I was, like, uh, that came out, I guess, like, when I was, like, 10 or 11 years old, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, and so it's just, like, stuck in there forever. I'm actually doing a, uh, like, cocktail lounge version of What's My Age Again. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's, great. it sounds pretty good on piano and everything nice. like that, but... But yeah, I I just couldn't get in. I couldn't get into that music. I was listening to like I was I was like the only sixth grader in Kentucky listening to fucking DJ Tiesto and Paul Oakenfold. Okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the, the electronic stuff didn't come in at that point for me. Yeah. And like I said, I think a lot of it was heavily influenced yet again by like you know I lived in Jacksonville and there was you know, everybody I hung out was a bunch of skater kids. You yeah. know, I mean that was that was I skateboarded every day. Um, and that was just kind of the influence. Everybody was a lot older than me too. So, you know, half the kids that I skated with were these kids skating for flatline and at Kona every single weekend, they were eighth graders. I was in sixth grade, but I could Ollie and I could do a kick flip. Yeah. So I was pretty cool, you know, I mean, and it was just one of those things where they definitely influenced. In fact, that was where I first got a Blink-182 CD that my mother quickly took away was from an older guy that I skated with, you know? And I remember skipping gym class with a CD Walkman in my pants, headphones run up my hoodie, not dressed out, sitting over there going, yeah, what's my age again? (laughs) And that was was it for me. That was kind of the drumming aspect of it, obviously. Travis Barker, you know, incredible drummer, who also marched drum corps and marching line so but also the flashiest drummer of all time oh uh, yeah oh yeah unreal flashy <laughs> unreal flashy but he gets um, that pocket he's, probably, he yeah, he's got pocket. a lot of he's pocket, lot of pocket and, yeah. and like i said he's he's a very traditionally trained drummer uh that was able to make a career for himself i mean uh, pull blink 182 aside travis barker can go play drums with anybody he wants to yeah and that's pretty outstanding for a drummer and he's he's uh, uh, unbreakable too. Didn't he get in like a plane crash? He and, did. And yeah. Everybody else died. Crash. But him. DJ him a- DJ everybody AM. but him and one other guy. He's unbreakable. Yeah, yeah it's pretty nuts, man. He's Bruce Willis. He uh, he uh, he also does like a lot of hip hop producing, which is super cool. A ton of it. Yeah. Um. So outside of like Blink One Eight Two and Travis Barker, who were some of your your other earlier influences as a drummer? Uh. So my dad did, uh, even though he wasn't, uh, you know, musically talented whatsoever. He listened to a ton of music. So what I grew up listening to was yeah, at least my early memories of like really understanding and and liking the music my dad was listening to was probably like 10,000 Maniacs, uh, you know, Alanis Morissette, uh, you know, uh, Natalie Imbrugula. That was my first tape was Alanis Morissette when I was like eight years old. Really? Really? (laughs) And then Shania Twain, too. Oh, there you go. Raised by by a woman. (laughs) And and my mom mom was into country, so, you know, there was definitely some George Strait in there and, you know, some Tim McGraw, but, you know, my dad was really into... I can remember like almost wearing out a copy of like bare naked ladies when they wrote uh if i had a million dollars and they did like a live bonus edit of the song at like the end of the album and man i wore that crap out uh, dave matthews was another one love dave um, matthews. carter it, it, beaufort's like one of the most oh gosh, ridiculous man. drummers uh, out there insane yeah insane. and the only guy that i'm 
gonna say that I'm gonna clear wearing gloves while he plays drums. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Only guy I'm gonna clear wearing gloves. Also, also has a, saying it. I don't understand what. What are you talking about? He wears gloves while he plays. He wears does. gloves while he plays drums. Carter, Carter Beauford for Dave Matthews. And I'm saying he's the only guy I'm going to clear to wear gloves. No. I don't, I don't understand the glove thing. But when Carter Beaufort does it, like, like totally o- fine. Like OJ Simpson leather gloves or like latex <laughs> gloves? What's the deal? <laughs> Like uh, they're, they're like they're like a golfing glove almost. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like a thin glove that'll prevent oh, the like, stick like, from slipping in the sweat of your hand. Like yeah. like OBJ catching it behind yeah. your back, kind of like yeah. stick and gloves. Like Tommy Lee, there you, you know, go. Yeah. Gloves. All right. You know, uh, <laughs> who I'm not gonna approve to wear gloves. Right? <laughs> uh, he also ha- he's also <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, so he also has a, a way of being super busy over singer songwriter style music but making it just perfectly work oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The dude carter beaufort yeah. Yeah. yeah you his should know his name is carter carter beaufort you should know his name he's one of the best drummers of all time dude, he's so good um so good and like just yeah he has got like that kind of like that, that that those gospel chops and pocket without like without overusing it but at the same time He's he's so busy, but it doesn't sound like it though. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, man. One of the one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard, and I I struggle to put it into practice because I'm naturally just a loud drummer. But uh, you know, Buddy Rich said forever ago, man. He was talking about an old recording that he had done, and a bunch of old recordings that he was done, and they're asking him, you know, what's your favorite recording that you've ever recorded? And he's like, oh man, he's like, my favorites are the ones where you can't even hear me playing the drums. <laughs> okay. And I, I kind of sat back and I'm like kind of thinking about it and I analyzing it. And then it, the only thing that I can come up with is that, you know, back in the day, those recordings were done with one mic in a room, you know what I'm saying? Everybody yeah. was kind of spaced out evenly to, to accomplish. Okay. We got to get the horns way back. Cause we know they're going to show up on the mic really well. And then we got to get the drums tucked back in the corner. We got to make sure these strings that are a little bit quieter are up here a little bit closer to the microphone so they actually cut through the mix and it wasn't about one instrument being heard more than the other it was about the one sound yeah. that was going to get that was going to come out of that microphone yeah. you know and it was it was a blend of everything together and realistically that's kind of how that's a cool way to look at music like if you can if it can be felt even when it's almost not heard that it's a pretty interesting way to kind of tackle, you know, rhythms or, or playing drums, you know, worrying more about what the final product is than necessarily what you're putting in. And that's kind of the way I've looked at the drums. Like I said, being more of a pocket drummer or, you know, when I learned to play guitar, I actually played guitar in a touring band for two or three years. And man, I couldn't solo for my life, dude, but I can play rhythm guitar like nobody's business really all right i filled in bass for a whole tour for another band because i can play rhythm like nobody's business like i play drums that's kind of my thing so i know my way around the 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 neck of the of a guitar or a bass it was just kind of sitting down learning the music getting the chops out and then going and playing it so that's kind of a, a cool way i think to look at it is you know trying to think of it as that one sound that's actually coming out the finished product rather than what everybody's doing individually you know you can shred on the guitar and he can shred on the guitar and everybody can have their time to shred but at the same time if it cohesively doesn't work as one piece of music then it's not going to make sense right carter beauford knows how to shred 
while everyone else is doing their thing and make it make a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 His it's, timing is also God, dude, pretty much perfect. Unreal. Yeah. So it's, it's like it is. <laughs> so for someone like David, for someone like Dave Matthews, who's like very wordy in his approach yeah like car it, it, it's hard when your drummer doesn't have that that consistency and they're busy and you, while you're also very wordy like the rhythm it just it sounds off but because they're just so perfectly in sync with each other yeah it just out it just it just works you does know? he play with it's anybody great. else uh, uh i mean he does a whole bunch of like session stuff so like i mean you can uh he did session drumming for years and honestly if if I could if I pulled up credits, he's been on so much stuff that you'd be like, oh, Carter Beaufort played on this. Like he did studio and session stuff for forever. Him but and Victor Wooten did some stuff together. Dave also. Matthews is his you know primary project. Yeah, that's actually such a good drummer. And has to be in the Dave Matthews band. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. You should have saved that for your unpopular opinion uh, part, man. It's, I, it's, it's not an unpopular I feel, opinion. I feel, you know what? That's unfortunately, not, that's not an unpopular opinion. Unfortunately, that should, that should, that should have been... That's the butt-in joke of every musician. That, that, that should have been my unpopular opinion is that I like Dave Matthews. Yeah, you know, that would be yeah, an unpopular that would be, opinion. Uh, it's, it's strange how... how, how with, Little with, baby! Usually with musicians, he gets such a bad rap. I don't get it because... He's so I, talented, well, and the songs are so they're, they're such prolific. It's such pro- prolific songwriting. I just don't get how how a musician could hate on them. You don't have to like the music, but you have to you have to acknowledge like the it talent. Was, in it that was it was uh, one of those um, jokes. You ever heard of that? Yeah, 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 yeah that's man. what I was doing. I'm com- uh, comedic <laughs> relief over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. <laughs> So, um, so some of your earlier bands. So obviously, like drums wasn't the only thing that you played in, in bands. Then no, no, no. Like I said, I, I did play guitar, played drums. That was the the first love, you know. And I played drums through pretty much every band I was in until I was in high school and then or the end of high school. And I was about to graduate. I I had decided to move to Nashville, Tennessee. Woo. I was gonna go. I had written this whole EP of this pop punk like alternative rock music that i was super excited about i was going to go to nashville with this bass player that i had been roommates with we were going to put together a band and we were going to do the thing and uh i actually drove up to nashville right before um christmas to get an apartment and actually lock everything in our lease was running up it was time to go i drove all the way up there put in a lease payment drove all the way back and then two days before we were set to move in, found out that my roommate's credit was awful mm-hmm. and that they were going to charge us like double what we had paid for a deposit to actually get into the apartment. At this point, we were trying to move across the co- half of the country to some extent. And we we're like 19 years old. I'm like, all right, well, we're not moving to Nashville, Tennessee anymore. So I got some money sent back, rented a place over on the west side of town, not far from where I grew up, and just hit up all the guys that I had played in bands with at like the Imperial and uh you know murray hill theater and jackrabbits over the years hit up a bunch of guys that i was close with from other projects and was like hey let's put together this this cool group behind all this music that we wrote we had three guitars um it was it was unreal it was kind of a weird thing for a pop punk band but uh it actually took off really well and uh you know we toured pretty heavily for the next two or three years what was the name of it uh radio city confessions okay um so we did a we did a lot of stuff man it was it was a whole bunch of fun um and once we we actually towards the end of the project uh the drummer left and so i transitioned transitioned over to drums towards the end of that project um we were put out one more album 
and then everything just kind of fizzled out. Everybody got everybody got busy, and I actually didn't play in a band for a good few years after that. I kind of just hung out. I went to school in Daytona for audio engineering and music production, um, and worried about that. And then when I met the dudes in Spore in 2011, um, I was like, "Hey, you guys are cool. Like, this is a." I had been in the festival scene at that point. And it was a little bit of a different take. It kind of allowed me to get back to drums, which was, like I said, the first love um, and the instrument that I'm far more solid at. Let's, let's be real about that. Not, don't ask me to play anything really lead related on a guitar. Right. Okay, because that cannot really happen. My, <laughs> my sausage fingers do not do that. You know what I'm saying? Huh. But if you need a power chord... I'm your guy. All day. All right, I'm your guy. All day. Okay. You need an octave, maybe? Yeah, I can throw that in yeah, there. You got all that. Right, let's go. <laughs> you know? So, it, like I said, it got, allowed me to get back to drums, which has always been cool. But I really just wanted to play guitar to be able to help write. And, you know, I wanted to be able to be more of a creative part of the writing process than just playing drums after everybody else had written the song. Right. Just kind of brought it to me. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll put some drums on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Sweet. I can, I can you already wrote that. the whole thing. I'll put some drums behind it. <laughs> boom, boom, cop, boom, boom. Yep. Here we go. Yeah. So, yeah. So, when you were getting plugged into the, to the, to the music scene here, were you going out to jams and meeting people like that, or you just kind of fell in with the right people? Uh, to be honest with you, man, when I met all the guys in Spore, uh, I was living in Jack's Beach um, and, you know, just hanging out. Um, wasn't playing any music at the time. Were, you know, was thinking about it, going to a lot of festivals and, uh, you know, wanting to be back in playing some music in some form. Uh, and somebody called me up to go to this random blues rock uh, bar that used to be out in Jack's Beach that was horrid. Dude. No, what are you I mean, talking was, about? That bar's come up the blues, quite a bit it, in the show. It, it, that was the Ritz of music. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about the whole place is the owner of the bar. Like, oh, he, he, it was a hotel, but nobody stayed there. He just had a room behind there. Like, and he lived just, in it. Yeah, he lived in it. And he would just come out every now and then. Like, And I don't think he knew that. I, we just kind of took over his. Yeah, it was very interesting. It yeah, was, We just took over, and he would just like come out every now and then. He's like, y'all keep it down. I'm trying to sleep. Like, oh. like this is your bar. Listen, like, listen. <laughs> I kid you not. We played there, so I'll I'll, I'll make it's a short. I'll make yeah. a long story really short, so I can tell you my story about Frank. Okay, yeah, the owner of the owner yeah. of this place. So I, I, I got right, called. Man. Hey, you want to come to an open jam? Uh, there's some guys up here that are jamming: a keyboard player, a bass player, a guitar player. But there's no drummer up here. And I'm like, oh well, you know, I got some drums in my car. Like, sure, I'll I'll buzz up there and I'll jam with some people. So I got up there, and that was actually where I first met Stephen, Joe, and Alex. Uh, was at Blues Rock. Um, I set up the drums. Uh, we, we jammed all night, kind of just freeform improv. Um, and I could tell that they were all, like, really talented musicians, um, but none of them had ever been in, like, a proper band before. You know, they had never really written, like, songs and you know, had any sort of structure to it. It was just like, hey, let's all get in a room, and you pick four chords, and let's go. Yeah. You know, and so I, I saw that being something really cool. Um and, you know, having been to the festivals, I, I saw that, you know, this this jam aspect was what was really what I was chasing. I wanted to do some sort of jam improv like free form, but I also wanted it to be structured and I wanted it to be electronic. And they just seemed like the perfect dudes to do it. Like they were they were interested. They were great. They were stoked about it. And, uh, you know, they were 
kind of the missing puzzle pieces, you know, for us to put together a project like that. So, you know, we wrote some songs and recorded the EP. And in February of 2012, we played the first Spore show. Um, and now, you know, from there, that was when I started going to a lot more jam style stuff. Uh, like I did make it to some of the jams at that point when we were playing a lot because it was one of those things where go out for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, play gigs all weekend. Like by Tuesday, I'm ready to go play drums again. Yeah. And I don't want to sit at the house the rest of the week and not play music anymore. We just played three nights in a row. I want to keep playing. So that that was really when I made it to those places the most and got plugged in with everybody. And Spore was a huge kind of catalyst for me getting plugged in with everybody in the jam scene. It was one of those things where I didn't know a lot of people involved in it. I, you know, I wasn't friends with the Jason and everybody in Greenhouse Lounge at this point and all that. So it was kind of difficult for me to get taken seriously as somebody who was actually a musician trying to play some music. And uh, Alex and Joe and Steven kind of had that that friendship base that was into the jam scene and was into that style of music. And it, it made it easy to kind of just mesh everything together. Once right. we started playing, it just kind of all made sense. Um, but yeah, man, that's uh, like I said, that's how that kind of all started. Hey, everyone. Just want to take a second to talk to you about one of our favorite music venues, Blue Jay Listening Room. Blue Jay is a space for true music lovers where every ticket is a backstage pass. Silence your cell phones, enjoy a nice glass of wine or craft beer, and be part of an intimate experience unlike anywhere else in Jacksonville. Hear national and local artists sing their original songs and share the stories behind them in a space carefully curated for the premier show-going experience. I personally have seen some of my favorite shows here, as well as having played with some of my heroes. Not only is Blue Jay a wonderfully unique experience, has become a staple in the Florida music scene. Mention bottom of the bill on your next visit and receive 10% off your tab. Blue Jay is located at 2457 3rd Street South, Jacksonville Beach, and be sure to check out www.bluejayjacks.com for news, ticketing, and events. So, um... Blues Rock, the epicenter for jam oh, bands. Yeah, so, so yes, yeah, so, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, I'm so <laughs> glad you brought it back up. All right, so my story about Frank, okay? Yeah. I'll, I'll parlay two separate nights into one quick thing. Frank actually came out at 6 a.m. one time when go. we were playing some weird, crunchy after party inside of this bar. Was they it were, the, for Halloween? Something like that. Yeah, it was for the sunrise on Halloween because Lucky yeah, played that too. It, it was crazy. Was, we played there a couple times. We played there once after Skrillex and like the two fresh guys came out. And Skrillex like played free in the morning. I don't know if you knew that. Or yeah, yeah okay. and then we played once for some sort of other like crunchy Sunday after party, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So they open up this, like, bar on the beach at, like, you know, it's open at, like, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. They're just not serving alcohol. And at 6, they can start serving booze. But we're in there playing at, like, 4 in the morning. Um, you know, and all of a sudden, this guy walks in with a fender strap with a wireless system and rolls in, like, a Marshall tube combo amp, right? <laughs> rolls it out of his hotel room into the room we're playing in and goes, yo, I want to jam with y'all. Okay. Okay, and it was me and Steven at the time just doing like some weird drum and bass stuff for all these kids who'd been awake all night yeah and uh you know so we're like all right sure man like yeah let's go you know get it going and dude that guy rock starred out for all 30 people that were there so hard <laughs> i mean 
He was running around the room soloing with this wireless system, getting up in girls' faces like, oh, you know. I mean, he was all <laughs> over the place. And Is I'm he like, good? I, he, he was great. He was actually a killer nice. guitar player. But it was one of those things where I was like, this makes perfect sense. Like, you're just like the weird drunk bar owner so that, weird, that's man. actually like incredibly talented. You just live in this hotel room and drink every bit of your talent away 24 7 and then somehow you but, have a, a, a restaurant on the beachfront it so that guy so was frank, so wild that was frank and then the last time i saw frank i got paid to do a dj gig fast forward like a year later got paid to do a dj gig and they tried to stiff me at the end of the night the bar manager yeah. at blues rock right before they closed so i went back to frank's door and banged <laughs> on frank's door and frank opens up the door and i'm like hey frank they're trying. They're supposed to pay me two hundred bucks tonight, bro, and they're saying they're not going to. And I was like, "You gonna come up here and give me two hundred bucks?" And he's like, "Yeah, give me a minute." Shuts his door, comes out, dude. I shit you not. He went up there. He was throwing liquor bottles in the kitchen. <laughs> oh my! Liquor God. bottles were smashing everywhere, and literally goes up to the register, pops the register open, takes two hundred dollars out of it, hands it to me, and then looks at the tip bucket and goes. Pours all the cash in the tip bucket and hands that to me, too, <laughs> on the bar and goes, have a good fucking night, man. There's your money. And I'm like, uh, oh sweet, dude. God. All right. Peace I wonder, out. I wonder right. what Frank's, Frank's bar doing. Must have been oh, pissed. Dude. Probably living the high life. You stole that place of seed chasers. Oh, my gosh, everything. man. For how many millions I could only imagine? Yeah. Well, good for him. But, yeah. 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 I never saw him. Oh, I just would yeah. hear stories about it and everything oh, yeah. like that. But you should have seen the jammed the, with him, dude. The back, the uh, behind, <laughs> behind really the weird, uh, uh, really weird <laughs> behind the stage. <laughs> excuse me, behind the stage uh, where uh, we would play. It just had Marshall uh, stacks like across the board. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. Were they actually working Marshall no, no, stacks? No, no, no. Who they knows? were like those. No, they were those the fake ones? mock things yeah. that they use on like stages. That looks yeah. like two sets of half stacks stacked next to each other. So maybe he just we had, can like, eight of them across the wall. So maybe we can get wall. Frank on here and just kind of you know kind of Bro. investigate what happened. But That'd be fun. Oh, dude. If you can I, find Frank, please let me know. Yeah, exactly. He's probably missing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, one of my favorite parts was uh, the fifteen dollars all you can drink night. Oh yeah, remember yeah, those? Yeah, yeah we absolutely. You paid fifteen dollars. There was no cover for the show. Fifteen bucks, and you could just drink as much as you wanted. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> the most ridiculous were, thing but ever. They were constantly like running out of beer halfway through the <laughs> of night. Yeah, I can were. imagine. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And stuff like that. And it was kind of just, man. It's a terrible business model, but <laughs> it was fun yeah. for everyone who's there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it was like absolutely like the worst idea. Mm. But he was like, yeah, this will work. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'll, get, it'll get people in. It'll get people in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with Spore, you, you kind of took on the role of like the, the booking agent. And like the manager, yeah, you did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, was that your first time taking on that role, or did you, did mm. you do that in other bands beforehand? Yeah, man, I I kind of in my first band, I kind of felt like it was one of those things where nobody really knew how to take the reins and do it, and so I just kind of tried to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Stepped up and sent up sent out some emails, kind of putting it out there. Hey, we want to play some shows, and people got back to me, and then. From there, it just developed, and being that I've stayed in the Jacksonville area, you know, most of my life, I mean, I've been booking shows with Tim Hall with Jack's Live since I was 14, dude. He's been answering my emails, and I mean, I was 14 the first time I ever played Jackrabbits. My mom drove me up, dropped me off out front, and when I got back in the car at the end of the night, she looked at me and said, 
you won't be able to come back here until you're 18 years old. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what the heck? You know what I'm saying? She's like, you're 14. You can't play in this seedy dive bar in San Marco. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. I, I totally oblivious to any danger actually being there because, you know, I hung out at the Imperial across from the Greyhound station downtown. So that wasn't much better, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was one of those things where I just took that role on, man. And once I had those contacts, it was it was just easier for me to reach out than it was anybody else. And then when it came to promotional things, I've always kind of just had a knack for doing the promo for stuff, you know, whether it's creating flyers or whether it's kind of trying to create a like a marketing campaign behind something. You know, Spore used to do the Sportoberfests that we did for a few years where we would play every single weekend in October somewhere in Jacksonville and we'd push this huge marketing thing behind it that was like everybody get ready for Sportoberfest we're playing the next four weekends in Jacks you know, all over the place free shows come check it out that's super and we'd cool. make kind of a spectacle about it and that was you know that was just kind of this brainchild I had one day that was like oh yeah Sportoberfest that that rolls off the tongue all right so you know it was something that I took on in early bands and did all the booking did all the promotion and and I, I hate to say that once I got good at it, it became one of those things that I f found hard to let go of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've hired managers at times in bands that I've played in to kind of try and step back from that role and not have as much to do with it. And really, honestly, it just ends with me answering a million phone calls and emails to whoever is managing the project. And it's like, well, if I was going to answer all these phone calls and all these emails, Would be wouldn't, I, you to do wouldn't it. I just do it anyways? That's yeah. kind of how I feel about it a lot of the time, too, where it's I don't have as much of a grasp on the promotional side of it. I think that a lot of other people do or that, that you might have. But as far as the booking and the managing goes, like that side of it comes, I think, very natural to me. So like, and, and we've like hired people outside to handle those kind of things. And it's the same thing. It ends up just being me on the phone just talking to the middleman where it's like, I could have done this more bureaucracy. Yeah. It's just like, I could have uh, like the, the idea is that you, you should be better at this than I am. And you should <laughs> yeah, know yeah. that you should know things that I don't, or you should be able to do things that I can't or have contacts that I, that I can't reach or whatever it might be. But I ended up being the exact opposite and it's okay. Well, this isn't, you know, I'll handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I definitely know what you mean, man. And, and like I said, it, it comes down to the same thing with me, even for the promotional side. You know, I did the promotions for all of the bands um, that I've ever been in. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I've also hired like social media marketing guys, you know, that are supposed to sit there and schedule out all the posts and make it all happen for me. I just got to give them content and they're going to make it look good and they're going to post it and it's going to hit at all the right times. And it just basically ended with me taking a bunch of pictures that I still had to upload to something and then send to somebody else. And, and then I got to coach them on what exactly to write because half the posts, I, there, there's nobody that's going to display your project or put a name, uh, put, put the investment behind the project more than you. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you're always going to be the one who's the most stoked, the most excited about it. And it just ran into times where when I removed the promotional aspect from you know, uh, me doing it, somebody who had a personal attachment to the actual project, it just turned into a mess. And it just turned into me kind of being like, you know, silently judging everything that yes. came out, yeah. trying to not feel like a jerk when I tell this person, hey, I'm paying you money every week. 
but I don't really like what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it's 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 a personal thing. And uh, if you're, I guess, gifted to do that sort of thing, I think that that's just something you got to run with, man. You know, there's there's people, everybody's got a different talent. And I think that there's always that guy in the band that you can just pick out within about 10 minutes and be like, all right, this dude's this dude's probably the one who's making sure everybody makes it home at the end of the night. Yeah. Let's be realistic here. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's this guy's figuring it all out. Yeah. And these guys are gonna these guys are gonna party hard and he's gonna figure it out. Yeah. I was that guy and like every band, you know? Yeah. Band dad, you know. So but I wouldn't have it any other way either. Yeah. So well, that's that's an important part of being in a band is being able to re- realize your role in the band and, and, and also as somebody who's taking the, the reins kind of understanding what everybody else's role is and then delegating accordingly. You know, I think that's an important thing. What's my Definitely. role? Uh, you handle a lot of the, uh, the media stuff. I do. But I still have to do all the social media stuff, exactly, but yeah. you know, still yeah. got a manager. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, there's also, but there, there's also one thing I've realized about, about, uh, me? No, not about you. God, you're so <laughs> into yourself. Uh, gotta be. Uh, love it, man. Yeah, get into yourself, bro. The, <laughs> there's the uh, the aspect of. What's up? <laughs> there's uh, sometimes. <laughs> Just finish your sentence. I'm trying to, but you're like the worst <laughs> human being in the world. Oh come on. Uh, in the world. <laughs> in the world. Maybe in Duval County. And my least favorite person alive is you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, oh. uh, there is one thing that I think that that kind of helps to not be so personally attached to something, and that's in the the, the negotiating prices aspect of things. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you're different, but I've heard other I've heard other artists at uh, you know like different levels than where we're at, mm-hmm. uh, and it goes for myself as well, where they'd rather have somebody just work, represent them just because it's like. You know, you want the opportunity, so you're not going to fight for your actual worth when you when you're when when you're so attached to that project. On the other hand, somebody who has no emotional investment in the project says, "Hey, here here are the numbers. These are just the facts. This is what they're worth, and you don't want to pay it. Then fuck you. We don't need to do the gig." That's where I would want somebody to, where I need somebody to come in and, and, and do that kind of shit. Oh yeah, man. I, I'm I the worst with that. Yeah. Uh, $200 to, to headline a festival. Yeah. I'm down. You know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, man. You hit the nail on the head there. I feel the same exact way, man. I, and I, I have a different, uh, interesting aspect on it because obviously I went from being somebody who booked just my art all the time. Uh, to being somebody who worked in a live music venue and had to book stuff that had to be on the other side of the token. Yeah. You know, I had to be that guy who had emailed me so many times and been like, hey, y'all need 100 bucks a man a night? Cool, I can give you 50 bucks a man a night. I it, That was kind of me now. Like, it was yeah. like, it, you know, and realistically, you get into that position and you sit back and you go, okay, all right, we got a budget here that, you know, we're a ticketed room, you know, and it's different if you're working in like restaurants or like, you know, bars that have like a built in fan base or a built in restaurant that's making like, you know, extreme amounts of money all day, every day. I get it. You know, Mellow Mushroom obviously has no problem paying a band to play three hours on Saturday night because they've been open for 12 hours, just absolutely crushing it. Right. You know, so I you get it. But then you go into like a, a 400 cap music venue like 1904 Music Hall and you got to figure out how to put a bunch of different events in the same room 
during the same week and make them all do okay enough to feel like at the end of the night everyone's not totally ticked off about the situation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's an interesting aspect, man. And it's it's hard to navigate those waters. I would totally agree with you. Like, as far as playing in bands, man, I will st- – when somebody wants me to play something and I'm invested in the idea of playing it, I'll play it for almost nothing. Yeah. Uh, to, to a fault. And yeah. it's not a good thing. It's just I want to share what I'm doing and I want to do cool things. At the end of the day, yeah, I want to make money, but I also want to play cool shows. Yeah. I play with bands that I like at places that I like, you know. And I'll tell you, if Tim Hall called me tomorrow and offered me a bag of potato chips to play at the St. Augustine Amphitheater again, I would be there in five seconds right. because I love that place and it's great. And it was a blast the one time we played there. So, I, you know, I would do that again for almost nothing. Now, if you tried to get me to play a show at the pit with the chain link fence right now for a thousand dollars, I'd probably be like, uh, Saturday's booked, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday's booked. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I got a long day of naps yeah, in yeah, store, you know, and maybe some tacos in the afternoon. Yeah. That's about it. So, like I said, it, you have to kind of find somebody to, to remove yourself from that process because it is hard for you to put a dollar amount on what your art is worth. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, even look at like collectible art, like, you know, the paintings and stuff like that. Like, a lot of this art wasn't valuable when the painters were alive and were actually painting it right. because they put these evaluation on their art that was horrible, you know, right. historical art pieces. And they're like, oh, yeah, I was selling for 50, 80 bucks, you know, whatever. Be- and that, it's crazy. But then once they've passed away and years go by and the appreciation builds for that, obviously these, these prices skyrocket. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it's one of those things where you know you've just gotta you've gotta go in knowing that if you are gonna book your own project and you are gonna negotiate those terms, you you've got to be stout about it. If you need three hundred bucks to play the gig, you got to get three hundred bucks. Right. You know, and if the agent wants to book you that bad, they'll make three hundred bucks work. And if they can't, then they'll realistically tell you. I mean, there are so many times I I wanted to book a band that I couldn't book. Because it just wasn't in the budget to pay them that much. Right. Realistically, we live in Jacksonville, Florida. Y'all playing a band. Y'all know, like, it's it's a big spread out town where there's little pockets all over the city where you don't have to go 10 or 15 minutes from your house to do pretty much anything or see any sort of entertainment. And people get very creature of habit. They go to do the same thing every single week. You know what I'm saying? It's bingo oh, yeah. on Wednesday. I eat chicken wings on Thursday. I watch football on Sunday. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, cool. I got it. But at the same time, how, how do you market your your art to somebody in event style when you have a city that's that spread out? You literally just attack it all the time. You, you, you literally put your project out there 24-7 in every single avenue that you can. You try and talk about it every single time you see somebody or you run into somebody while you also try to not feel like the guy who's always talking about Their what shit. he's got going on. Yeah. You know, it's it's a weird balance, man. But I think as musicians, we just try and figure it out. I've yeah. buried that embarrassment when it comes to promoting myself. I'm just like, just you're going to come see my show. You're, you're going to. Yeah, dude, you have to be shameless about yeah, it. Shameless. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. you but have to be. I hey. still haven't gotten one of my friends from the beach to come visit me in Riverside. <laughs> <laughs> they won't do it. That dude, is, I, I get it. I get it. That is, Whatever. A, that is a wild dynamic that I had to get used to when I moved it's to weird. Jacksonville. Because it's like, if you're, if you're in South Florida, like, 
not to say there's not their, their like the neighborhood people yeah, yeah, that just yeah. stay in the neighborhood, but it's like if you're not in if you're not where the action's at, there's no action, right? Yeah, so it's like going on there. Yeah, so it's like you have Fort Lauderdale and like downtown, and then that's where you go. You have Miami. Miami's kind of like spread out like Jacks, but also it's like you know you kind of in those spots where there's stuff going on, it's like a lot of shit going on. Yeah. So it's so you kind of and like where I was at in the in the suburbs, smack dab in between the two of them, we had like we had like two bars you could go to. Yeah. So you had to go to Miami or to Fort Lauderdale if you wanted to have any kind of a good time, which yeah. is just what we did. Like you just went where we moved to Jacksonville. <laughs> it was like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't cross the ditch. You know, I live at the beach. And it's like, yeah. what do you mean you don't cross the ditch? Wild concept if, ever. If I, I want to do shit down South, I drive half an hour in each direction to get somewhere. Yeah. You exactly. know what I mean? That's yep. just what you did. It's just, it's, it was such a wild dynamic when I moved here. Oh, yeah, man. It, it, like I said, I grew up on the west side of Jacksonville where it was 30 minutes to anything. Like, I mean, you know, it was even just to drive to high school for me in the morning was 28 miles from like my parents no front door shit. to high school. Wow. You know, so I mean, I lived on the edge of the county. We were way out. We're in like the last place that you can address a letter to that, and name it Jacksonville. <laughs> and it's still going to show up, you know. So it was I was always used to those drives. Um and it didn't really bother me. We were kind of the same way. If you wanted to go to a music venue, you had to drive downtown to the Imperial or over to San Marco to Jackrabbits or over to Murray Hill to Murray Hill Theater. Like, those were really the Club Five over in Five Points. Like, those were the only places that we could go see concerts or anything else. Because where we lived, it was, you know, like TNT Liquor Package Lounge, you know, and that was yeah. about it, you yeah. know. And unless I it's wanted to fun. run into like my girlfriend's dad right. there, I you know I wasn't at TNT Lounge and Liquors at sixteen, you know, so it was weird, man. Um, but yeah, Jacksonville definitely has people get way too caught up in just you know the day to day. They get way way too routine, and that's something that I feel like I've always coming from being musicians. It's something that. We're not wired to understand super well. Right. It's weird when you go to like another city uh, and it's not like that at all. And it's just like, oh, there's like a ton of people. If you go to St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, there's so many people. Like, what, what is the deal? <laughs> and I'm like, we came to here to see music. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I, it's funny. Spore was, Spore definitely right had better turnouts in St. Petersburg the first few years of the project. Then we did in Jacksonville. So do we. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was unreal. You go to St. Pete, Tampa, and play for like twice the crowd on a twice as many people on a Saturday night as we just played in our hometown with on a Friday. And and, and here's the thing: they're not even coming to see you. They're coming to see good music, and they respect the venues that they're at, like Ringside Cafe or Ringside Janus. Cafe. Ringside, yep. that's the one, right? Yep. And yep. You, you play down there, and yep. people just uh, uh, know. That there's going to be good music there, and that's that's the way that it used to be at Freebird, in my opinion. It's yeah, it's, I, I agree, I and, agree, and and I, that's what I love so much about uh, uh, Freebird. But, uh, it's, but not the, even, it's not even just that they're coming to see good music; like they'll actually remember you better there. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where it's like people pay more attention. Yeah, uh, legitimately. And also, there there is a bit of a, a, a there's a bit of a the allure that you're from out of town, you're a touring band, so a that bad, kind of yeah. helps as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean versus like you know it's just when, 
we've gone to St. Pete several times and we just, we always feel the love a little bit more there than when we do when we're, when we're playing locally. Not to, not to like, yeah, go, hate ahead, anybody. Sell, go ahead and sell I, our fans. Out. No, not at, all, not, a, not at all. Not at all. I, everybody that comes to support us. I, 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 I love, I love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting us. I'm just saying that just generally speaking that we just, we, we, there's more people that seem to be interested in new things that are going but on. It goes back to what well, he said that it, like everyone's got their little pocket and their creatures have it and everything yeah. like that. There's no reason not, to go all the way down. Yeah, I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying. It's just because this place is too goddamn big. No, yeah. and and I'll also throw out there one thing that I've noticed. You know, coming from I I, I constantly am analyzing. You know, when we would play in St. Pete and we would have these bigger crowds, I'm like analyzing why does St. Pete seem so much better than Jacksonville? Like why are we why are we you know there was a point in time where the band actually discussed like moving down south because the reaction to the well, music shit, half of them it was did. better it was it was <laughs> and they really did you know what i'm saying but we had discussed that like what if we all moved to dunedin yeah like what if we just did that like we could play ringside and the blueberry patch and dunedin brewery and those will be like the house shows and then when we come back to jacksonville the shows will probably do better because we're only playing here once every few months yeah. the big issue was for a band at that point where we were at you're moving four hours further from every other spot yep, in the that's country. That's the hard yeah. part. And yeah. it's like, why do I want to add four hours to every single trip? Why do I want to make a six hour drive to Atlanta, a 10 hour drive? Because we do play in Atlanta once or twice a year. So it, it made it hard to kind of figure that part out. Um, you also would have had the same problem that you were having here in St. Pete had you moved there. 100%. You know? There's, there's an oversaturation because, let's be real, all the bands want to, everybody wants to play. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to play music, but there's only so many nights in the week, and there's only so many genres of music in the town, and there's only so many bands that you mesh with on a bill. And before you know it, I mean, you can't throw four of the same event four nights in a row and expect that the the same hundred people that listen to that style of music are going to pour out all four nights. Right. It's it's just not feasible. So it, you know, I think that when what I realized about St. Pete in particular is I noticed that a lot of, like, just people that I uh, I really like their mindset in general, like, a lot of really cool people seem to be just, like, flooding to St. Pete. And then you do. You see the downtown, and it's, like, there's bars everywhere. Yeah. And people are, like, every block, there's, like, three or four bars, and there's bands playing all over the place, and there's people drinking out in the street, and there's people walking from bar to bar to bar for, like, blocks. And, you know, Jacksonville doesn't really have that proper downtown. Obviously, Jason and, you know, Dwayne over at 1904 at Underbelly now, you know, they got a headroom and spliffs. Like, they're trying to build this entertainment district where we can start to have that vibe. But nobody lives but downtown, though. Nobody That's really the lives downtown. And, and, and honestly, why would you want to? I work downtown, and I didn't want to live down there. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just – it's not – until downtown kind of catches up, it's going to be a destination location. You yeah. go downtown if you're going downtown f to do something. Yeah. You know, if you're going to a football game, you're going to a concert, you're going to something else, you're going to go down there. And eventually, you know, if we can get a whole – what it takes is – a lot more people than just, you know, Jason and Dwayne yeah, or a couple bar owners kind of putting it all on his stepping own in it. on a block. He's and doing a hell of a job, though. Yeah, dude, he's doing a great job. But you need two or three Jasons. You need two or three Jasons, man, <laughs> yeah. and you need them to buy up the whole block all the way down, yeah. and you need to build that entertainment district, you know? And, yeah. and when you get that, you'll start to see people being like, I mean, if you live downtown, what would you do? 
Yeah. You go to Headroom and Spliffs every single day, or occasionally eat at Superfood and Brew yeah. or Burrito Gallery. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, it, you, you can't shop down there. There's no grocery store. There, you know, there wasn't a proper coffee shop until Headroom opened. I, I mean, that was open in the mornings. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Not, not a thing down there. You got to go to Bold Bean over in Riverside. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting, man. But St. Pete has a lot of a lot of people coming there that love music and love what that community is doing and i think that that's just blossomed like that that whole home team vibe down there and all the people that are involved with that obviously bring just this like high energy aspect to being a music fan yeah and that's something that is pretty cool to see people get really genuinely excited about the tunes when you play them out a lot of nights and everybody just kind of seems like they're phoning it in you know it is wild well, though. Like sometimes there'll be shows in nineteen oh four. Like I, I think it was uh, about this time last year when uh, uh, what's his name Theo Kassman played, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, amazing. You sold out like immediately. Yeah, amazing. Uh, <laughs> and so it's like four hundred cap room. And I'm looking around. And I was sitting in the back with Steven, and we're like, and I, uh, Chelsea was there too, actually. Yeah. And, and we're just like, who the fuck are these people? Oh, I all I these people. I yeah. didn't know one person that was no. there. No. So it. It's there. Mm-hmm. How do you get them to? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that. dude. I, I think that it's one of those it's things. A million dollar question, but yeah. Every, or even like uh, uh, um, uh, when Mavericks used to have like uh, night, like uh, music nights and teachers and stuff on Fridays and Saturday nights over there. There'd be a thousand people in there. Oh yeah, it yeah. It was ridiculous. No, I mean uh, it's like Big Gigantic or any of those other bands that yeah. would play at Mavericks every once in a while that yeah. were involved heavily in the jam community, and I would go out and go, okay. I know about 100 people in this room very well. I've seen you at pretty much every show, every two weeks for the last five to seven years, ten years, I've been going to shows in Jacksonville involved in this community. The rest of them, I'm looking around going, where the, what? Where'd y'all come from? Yeah. Like, y'all go to college or something around here? Because I'm feeling rather old at the moment. (laughs) You know? And I'm kind of sitting here going, like, how do I not know you? Is this your first time at a concert, my friend? Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's it's weird, man, because Jacksonville is so big, you know, and we constantly have, I think we forget about it being people here, but, like, Dude, as crazy as it is, people travel here to go to like UNF and stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know, people from Georgia and Alabama and all over the Southeast come to Jacksonville to go to school. I'm sure they show up here and are like, oh my God, what was I thinking? To some extent. But at the <laughs> same time, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go to Jacksonville. That seems really cool. And then they get involved in the music scene. But if you're not plugged into their friend group or their social settings or live on their side of town, maybe you don't go to UNF or you don't go to the restaurants and bars that are over there, Atlantic and Kernan area. Or you're not a national You might never act. meet these kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, unless it is Big Gigantic showing up and they're like, oh, man, I saw Big Gigantic at Rolling Loud one time. Man. Yeah, Big Gigantic. That's, and it's like, all right, sweet. <laughs> that's, you know? that's kind of the thing, man, is that Jacksonville's a, a – uh, it's – for it's it's a small population for the size of the of the city yeah so and there's and there's not a huge range of demographic as far as like you know like what people are gonna be like like music and, and art and that kind of stuff so i mean not to say there's not any but it's just it's not like as obvious on the surface yeah so i think that we're kind of like one of those cities where it's like once it's been tested and approved in other areas then it's like okay well you can you, you can do well in jacksonville now but you're probably not gonna you're probably not gonna test your your product out here for the first time and get any real results because people really aren't gonna take the chance on you 
you know. Yeah, it's difficult, man. It's, it's, it's and that's not that's not a slight at, at the culture of the people here. It's not that people here aren't down for new things. No, it's just that it's just that it's like like we're saying it's so spread out, and it's not like you know like even you know we were talking before we started about social media and stuff like that. There's so many so many bands and so many artists coming out of this coming out of this city that aren't like on that side of it you know and that's oh a, yeah and it's like it's just it's just it's a city that's kind of like in a lot of ways with so much potential just a little behind the ball and a lot of the modern things going on but you'd, you'd agree though yeah. that it's growing right of course it's growing yeah that's, yeah that's 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 why i love the city so much it's because the there's the potential yeah. and because there's people here that, that want to do things to make a difference yeah and that and you know it's sure better. did uh knock that uh a uh, giant uh I don't know what what you were going to call it, the Lot J thing. They oh, yeah, they shut that down. Yeah, shut, that, shut down. that down fast. Yeah, real quick. Yeah, uh, which, in, in it, you know, I'll get into my honest opinion with it real quick. Uh, you know, as cool as it would be for the city of Jacksonville to give Shad Khan a ton of money to build this really killer entertainment, entertainment That's what it was gonna area be. in downtown, is it not just another landing? Like, and at yeah. some point... I mean, Shad, uh, you know, he's a rich guy. He's successful. He's made a lot of money for himself. At some point, can Shad not just, if you want to build a big building, go ahead and build a big building, homie. Yeah. Like, you got a lot of cash. Like, go take out a bank loan. I'm sure your credit's good. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? But you don't really need $220 million to build an entertainment district downtown when I-95 has been under construction since I was in my mom's womb. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not a thing that we. Why spend the money? And then also, think about the businesses. The you know, and this is just this was my honest opinion when I heard about it. Think about the businesses like Justice Pub and 1904 and Headroom and even Myth Nightclub and all these businesses yeah. that invested into downtown to try and be entertaining places to go. And then you're going to give Shad $220 million to build this state-of-the-art, amazing entertainment complex two blocks away yeah, where everyone's going to be driven down to this new entertainment complex. And really, honestly, if you're somebody from out of town, are you going to go check out 1904 and Spliffs and everywhere else? Or are you going to go check out the $200 million entertainment complex that Shad built on the river? I don't well, know. I, it I gets was, people there, though. You that's know? what I was going to say. That's my that's my uh, thing about it. And it was I see your $550 million, by the way. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, well, let's more. go ahead and say that that's just outlandish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's be is. real about that's it. That's why it got shut down is because it, like they, they were basically robbing the city yeah, with that. It's like it, the monorail sales. It's going to take too much Which money. Which we do have a monorail. If he wants to open an entertainment district, how about he start opening his yacht on Fridays and Saturday nights? I could I'd pay to have a party in that place. I'm telling you what. to play Shot Khan's Yacht. That would be so great. That would be pretty cool. That's a good band name, too. Shot Khan's Yacht. Shot Khan's Yacht. Write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, a good one. All right, so I, I, so we've, we've kind of touched on a little bit so far, but the, the side of the, the industry that I'm very passionate about that I think more people in scenes like this need to be educated on is the, the promotional side of it and, and understand, distinguishing between – the realities of a, of, a, of a band pursuing original music versus the bar scene. So you you made the transition after Spore kind of uh, took you know took kind of like hiatus. a hiatus. Yeah. Um, you started working at 1904 mm -hmm. and got into the promotion side of things. Why did you do that? And do you feel like your experience at Spore kind of 
made you more interested in that side of it. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where from the time I was 15, 16 years old and started booking shows, man, I the the dream job was to like work at a venue. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I want to play in a band. Like, yes, I want to be a rock star. I'm 15, 16. I want to play drums for the rest of my life. But then there was like the sensible part, the other the little angel on the other shoulder that's like, you could still be involved in the music industry and throw concerts. You could make a living doing this and you don't you don't have to be a rock star to do that. And so, you know, but then at the same time you were playing bands. So when I played so much music that I finally just kind of got burnt out on it, man. When Spore went on hiatus, I was just at a point where I was really done investing the time into the into really every aspect of it. I didn't want to play out four nights a week anymore. I didn't want to travel all the time. And I just I wanted to do something different. So I did. I, I stepped in in 1904, and it was, it was a major transition, but... It, it definitely set me up, you know, my relationship with Jason grew heavily when I was in sport and I booked at, you know, 1904 with him constantly. And when the opportunity kind of arose, Jason kind of came to me like, yo, man, you know, having had the experiences I have had with you booking shows here, you'd be the perfect person to do this, man. He's like, you were always so great to work with. It was a, you know, you were easy going. And I was like, yeah, man, as long as we got all the info. You know, then everything's good to go. That's really the only time anybody ever gets ticked off when they show up to a show, right? Is when you don't have all the info. Right. When you show up and you thought there was a PA there and there's not. Right. Or you show up and you <laughs> thought there was monitors there or there's not. Or you show up and the sound engineer is supposed to be there, but he's not. Right. You know, th that's when things, that's when problems occur. So for me, it was, yeah, prepared me to step into it. And it, like I said, it was, it was a dream job, man. It, it was a killer job that, I love very much, and I, I cherished every second that I was there. Um, but it was one of those things where stepping into the promotional aspect of things, you know, I had to figure out, like I said, how to take – I was used to booking my band in a different room in a different city like four or five nights a week. Right. So I had like a different audience to promote to. I had a different bar to, to promote around, whether they had a following or not. I had, you know, different bands in different areas that I could kind of use to piggyback if they were playing the show and promote to their friends, you know, whereas when you start booking in the same room every single night, you really got to figure out how you're going to actually promote these shows and how you're going to base them. You're going to have five different shows a week that are all going to have a turnout. And like I said, nobody's going to be mad at the end of the night. Right. And uh, I think, you know, with promotion in the, the sense that we're in, you know, social media, I, I was talking about earlier, I, you know, even for my business now, my screen printing business, social media is like uh, pretty much the way to reach people. I mean, it's where 90% of my business comes from. You know, it's where 90% of the people who walk through the doors at these music venues we play at uh, hear about these events. I mean, realistically, that's, that, that's where everybody goes to get what they're going to do for that week. Right. So I feel like, I became very okay with the idea as as Billy was saying so eloquent eloquently earlier. Thank you. Just becoming shameless. Yeah. I mean, you you really have to get to a point where you're like, all right, listen, I believe in this and I want to sell. I have to sell it. That's what I have to do to be able to be successful with it, right? Like I got to get new people interested in it all the time, and the only way to really do that is constantly be selling the product, constantly be working at trying to get people 
to come and check out what you have going on. It's like a walking billboard, basically. It, it really is, that's man. What, that's what I try to be. Everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to. And what I found is, you know, in the Facebook and the Instagram and, you know, even stuff like Snapchat and TikTok now, like, you know, they all have these dedicated fan bases of people that are on them 24-7 almost, man. I mean, there's somebody across the world that's just sitting there scrolling all the time, tons of people. And if you put your content out there just all the time, you just blast it. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, I don't want to get, like, shadow banned. I don't want to post so much stuff that, that they think thing, I'm going to get, yeah. like, spammed. Like, I don't want to worry about it. Okay, well, here's the problem. We all know that on our Facebook business accounts, we're only actually the only 10% of our audience is actually seeing what we're posting in the first place. Okay, so if I have 4,000 followers and I make a post that only 40 people get to see it, well, then I just made a post that day, 40 people saw it, moving on. If I make four posts that day and 40 people see it, and then let's say that one of the posts actually does pretty good. I get a couple comments on it. I engage back with the comments. I get somebody who shares it. Then somebody else shares it. Now, all of a sudden, instead of getting the 40 people that I would have gotten on my one post that day, that one post could get 200. And then all the other little three ones, they got 40 apiece. No big deal. It is what it is. One like, 40 views. Who cares? It's about putting your product out there all the time and not being scared because you're fighting a battle. They want you to pay for the promotional aspect. They want you to boost your posts. And I'm not going to say we, we had mixed conversations about that earlier. In times, it works great. In other times, I feel like I wasted some money. And, I, you know, I can't get past that. I, I feel like organically reaching your fan base is the best thing you can do. And I, I think when events start up again, if I, you know, my bands are going to be going back to, like, handbills. I'm going to get flyers with the shows coming up for the next couple months, and I'm going to hand them out at the merch table. I'm going to hand them out to people walking out the door at the end of the night because I think that you're going to see this mentality also where it's going to come back to more of a um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Analog. Yeah, like an organic kind of like analog thing because you also have these people who – let's be realistic. uh, Social media can be pretty toxic. And it can be pretty awful. Yeah. And, you know, I've, if I can only tell you how many times I've said in my life that if I wasn't involved in a band or the music industry, oh, that I wouldn't it. have a Facebook Me and I wouldn't same. have an Instagram. I hate same. it. You know, I've said that a million times. And it's because, realistically, it sucks to have to deal with sometimes. It, I haven't had to pass out handbills outside of Freebird. And, like, at the end of the night, you just go out of the fucking Kinko's, get 500 handbills. And just, dude, like, isn't, just sit outside there. Isn't this just the, like, All the day. story of 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 existence though it's everything like everything just circling it just circles back, back around. Yeah, because 100%. it gets so oversaturated 100%. where you're just like okay well i could promote another show on 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 instagram or tiktok or whatever but like but like who's actually out there passing out flyers now and like how Nobody. many and how many people would think like if they got a flyer in their hand they would be like that's fucking weird yeah, who's oh, doing 100%. that now yeah and they'd probably look at that and be like all right i don't know i'll check it out maybe i don't know it's 100%. just it's just like it's it's like like, th- like the wheel just constantly gets reinvented. You know what I mean? 
it's I, I don't know. So maybe you're onto something with that. Maybe we should just start doing that for our February fifth show please, at Jackrabbits with Side please, Hustle and please, Mr. Cool and Alchematic. Don't make me do that again. <laughs> hey, listen. You want to talk about shameless? I I could fucking you know sell uh, snow to an Eskimo with the fucking handbill. Like I'll just be like, you want to come to this? My uh, pockets used to say free sex show, and then he would hand out like, what? And they'd be like that. I'm like that's a good one. You're really yeah, making this good. a hard sell for me. Bro. Oh, no, I'll <laughs> do it. I'm just saying. I don't. I, God, it's just so. It, yeah, man. That is it's a little demeaning. It was, yeah, it's the most it, shameful thing. It was yeah. monotonous, and it was, yeah, you had to be shame, <laughs> shameless to do it. But at the same time, man, there's a, I think that a lot of people have gotten away from the concept of realistically, uh, you know, people they want to like your music, right? But they also want to like you. Yeah, you know, and there's there's so many avenues that I can think back to in Spore where you know I wasn't the party guy that. You know, was the the hanging out till four in the morning and wanted to after party with everybody and meet every single person. But all the other dudes in that band were. Yeah. And oh, if shit. I could only tell you how many doors got opened for me because those guys decided that they were going to stay up and drink all night with some guy in some random city. And the guy just liked them yeah. and was like, you know what? The bands kick ass and these dudes are awesome. And then next thing you know, yeah. we were getting on festivals that I I had no idea we were going to play. And we were getting offers for money that I had no idea we were going to get offered. And it realistically, you're selling, yes, you're selling your music, but you're selling you too. You know, and there's, there's, a, there's a relationship that gets made when you hand somebody a flyer and they actually have some interest. Not the person who tosses it on the ground and doesn't care at all what you say about it. Oh, I picked that okay? back up. Okay, but me personally... <laughs> I'm the kind of the guy. I'm the kind of guy who gets a flyer and at least takes a look at it. Yeah. Okay. And if you spark my interest in that one second, two seconds that I see that flyer, man, there's no telling. I'll probably come see your show. Yeah. Uh, but it, there's also that that interaction with somebody in a band. Hey, you're sitting out here and you're passing out flyers at somebody else's show, and it's like, yeah, man, because if I make a post on Facebook. 40 people are going to see it. I could sit outside of this door and pass out 100 flyers in 12 minutes, and way more people are actually seeing what I'm saying than they are when I'm typing behind my keyboard. Yeah, yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Uh, th that's and it kind of does about the same amount of work because you're literally just canvassing uh, the same way that you're just posting up. A, like, people just scroll through stuff. They'll maybe see it for, like, a second. Those yeah. Like, that 10% that you see. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, it's going to be shown to you, and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and I, might I, as well I think, just get all of them. I think it's a great way to kind of, and I think that it's something that, like, bands, especially coming out of, like, the, uh, obviously, nobody wants you to hand them anything right now, right? You yeah. don't want any interaction with you whatsoever. Well, yeah. So, like, in a post-COVID situation where everything's good to go, you know, and it's kosher and okay to hand out flyers to people i think that that's something that people should really look into because i think as as you see people get tired of the the facebook social media platforms stuff, yeah. the facebook fights and the the fallouts that are on these social media platforms and just really the the nasty stuff that people say to each other or just a saturation in general just seeing yeah, so, so much, much of it out it. there where, you're, where yeah. you gets lost in, in all of it you know yeah and you're, and you're really uh focusing on the, like you're going to a show so you're focusing people that would go to a show yeah, yeah. absolutely but there's also a yeah. big thing about so, something that we've been really big on with side hustle like we're gonna do this documentary along with the making of our album we've been doing it's like it's cool it's like you have to get like you're saying you have to get people invested in you before they 
can get invested in the music, which yeah. is why we're doing those things. First off, it's an interesting experience writing a record and, and being in the in the studio. It's yeah, really absolutely. unique and it's kind of like insane. But it's like, but it's also like people get an insight to who you really are especially in the studio literally at your worst moments as a human being <laughs> and your best moments as a human being yeah, yeah, yeah. that full spectrum you know yeah. so i think you have to give people that real insight beyond just like hey we have a show come see us play yeah you know, like, absolutely and and that's what you're gonna see i think going forward man is like every band's got to find a creative way to engage with their audience on more than just the one show a month that you can play in the area right yeah you know what i'm saying and i think that's why you're seeing like bands going into stuff like patreons and you know like only fans even i yeah. mean i gotta be honest with you like they're they're doing wait, it wait, because wait, hang on what Oh, dude! They, all sorts. Uh, what's <laughs> the dude? Fans. What's the it's not just the guy stars. from? Uh, no, man. A lot of celebrities are going over there, and they're they're basically treating it like Patreons. It's where you can see behind the scenes stuff that you can't really see anywhere else. Yeah, like my butthole. But the, yeah, no, not always your <laughs> butthole. Wants to see you know that what I'm saying? Bro. So, but but Patreon definitely is more yeah, of Patreon's one of those that, yeah. those spaces where people are are tre treating it properly. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, but. <laughs> You're, you you kind of almost have to find a way to interact with your fans outside of just being able to play a show for them every once in a while. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Get them invested I mean, and then start charging, them for, start charging their asses for it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> attention, attention spans joking, uh, for us. Uh, for attention spans for people are short sometimes, man. I mean, and I don't say it to be mean. I say it to be real. Like, we're all my the attention same span's the same way, man. Yeah. I'm on to the next thing so much. I'm always constantly... Oh man, I I got to get back to this, but, and I'm already moved on to something else. Yeah. So it's one of those things where unless you kind of have that constant, like, you know, hey, this is what's going on with us. Hey, this is what's happening here. Hey, check out this stuff that we got going on. And there are people who very much don't mind investing their hard-earned money into something that they get behind. You know, they like the band, they enjoy it, they want to see that documentary, and if it costs $20 a month to subscribe to Patreon, but you get some studio videos every single month that nobody gets, maybe every once in a while you drop a limited edition piece of merch on there that nobody can buy but your Patreon followers, or you yeah. gift it to them as something, you make it a special thing where people feel like they're getting the full experience of the band, even though they can't really hang out with you all the time. Right. You know, and I, I think that's what has made a lot of these bands so approachable, like especially in like the the mainstream markets like the you know, our last night was this hardcore band that forever ago they had a decent following they their first couple records did really well for them. I, I had a buddy who went and filled in bass for him up in Maine for a tour with um, a bunch of, you know, larger bands on big venues. Band was doing great. Then the band started doing a whole bunch of live streaming of doing, you know, covers of songs, everything. The band is enormous now to a point where I'm like, oh, my God. But all they really do is like these big studio covers now. And then if you like subscribe to some of their stuff and you follow them closely, you can get other studio videos and other updates that nobody's getting or they're around. And it it, be, it made them seem accessible for the general public it was like oh I, I almost feel like i can get to know these guys because they're constantly putting something out there yeah totally it, you know and i you gotta I, it, the part of the big thing though is like this is like part of like again the issue with with uh or not really the issue more of like the 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 burden that we have to kind of 
do uh, in in a, in a town like this is like inform people these are platforms that are yeah. that that are that are that, that are modern and this is how you're going to be able to access music and 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 whatever else it might be right like this is this is a problem that I was kind of touching on earlier with Jacksonville and and a lot of Florida cities and southern cities as a whole so LA New York Chicago Austin Nashville these these towns and their populations and demographics already hit to all this to, to all these platforms like it's it's that's why these bands yeah. in those areas are able to utilize them or comedians even with, have been on Patreon for years now. Yeah, well, yeah. When the pandemic hit immediately, I was like Patreon for the band. We started doing it. It just didn't it like just never caught on. Yeah. yeah. So, so we kind of stopped following up with it. But but partly if we were in a place like New York, it probably would have caught on a little quicker. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's just kind of built into the cake now in those places. Yeah. We, it's kind of but like. Again, like 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 giving credit to Jacksonville, there's a lot of potential. There's not people don't want to grow. We, they just need to be made in form of like you know, they, oh. they, need be, they need to be made aware of their options in that regard. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, I, we're we're a little late to the curve on a lot, late to the party on a lot of things. You know, I mean, in the United States as a whole, sometimes. Yeah, and totally. Then, and then you know, especially out here on uh, in the southeast, on the east coast, sometimes it, it, I say southeast primarily. You know, it seems. People are a lot less, uh, I, I, I kind of blame it on you get like a lot of like really rural areas yeah. where people just, you know, one, don't care or two, don't have internet access or don't want to pay for internet access or, you know, the entire generation of like older, uh, older people that, uh, that live in Florida that, that want nothing to do with social media or the internet whatsoever right they just resist technology right and i i think when you put all that together in the southeast it kind of makes for this like weird spot where you know younger the younger generations are trying to, to get hip to it and trying to catch up to it and things like you know tiktok man i I don't, I'm not very great with it, but man, let me tell you what. Gotta get on it. Oh my gosh. Gotta the, do the it. Kid, they're on it, man. Like all the, all the 20 somethings like that were on MySpace and Twitter and all that. I mean, you know, they're now they're all 30 somethings and all the new 20 somethings are on TikTok and Snapchat. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where you can't really be resistant to it. You kind of have to figure out a way to. To just embrace it, cope with it, and get good at it. Especially and as an artist and musician, man. Especially, yeah. or if you're running a business, like you just have to. Yep. And like it, Instagram is still relevant too. So it's like Instagram, TikTok. It's like, and TikTok just signed like something, something like a, like a fifty or a hundred million dollar contract with Sony Oof. for for music rights. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and fa- and Facebook hasn't even like like gotten hip to the game yet. Facebook yeah. is is is. For for the younger generation, irrelevant. It's dog it's, ass. It's it's it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like like still yeah. it's it's yeah. It, right now it's still kind of relevant. But like if if you if you're thinking about like the next couple of years, just don't even focus on it. Instagram, uh, TikTok, yeah. YouTube, yeah. Uh, these are your these are your platforms to really YouTube's be focusing the only one on. That pays. Nope, not not true. Instagram actually just started monetizing. Facebook actually just did too. What? TikTok is mon- which is why TikTok just signed the yeah. deal with Sony. They just started monetizing also. But the problem is with Facebook is that is that they're late to the game. Nobody wants money from their grandparents. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like like the, yeah. the, Instagram is still relevant, but give it a couple of years, it's gone. TikTok is where it's at right now. 
Uh, it's all monetizable. YouTube is also monetizable and still very and still probably like like the like the, the like the peak like the pinnacle of making money at, as an artist right now. I feel yeah. like an old man. Whenever I, I I just got TikTok last week and when I go through it, I'm just like, it's so loud. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Loud. No just, doubt. It's yeah. so loud no all the time. No I just I scroll through it just like, man, am I. Am I really out of the loop on what all these dances are and everything yeah, I don't else? Know like that. that's what I, it is, man. I yeah. mean, when I was when it was like the nineties, like you know, the was Tootsie Roll and yeah, well, yeah. you knew what that was. Like you knew what the Tootsie Roll was. Yeah. But nowadays it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Did I just miss all this? Like, is there a song to every single or is there a dance to every single song that comes out now on popular radio? I that's kind of what pop music that, is that's now. As far as I went. Okay. That's, that's, are you good at it? One, two step. Yeah, that's pretty That's good. <laughs> no, you crushed that, by Thank the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, also, I don't think that we grew up in a generation where we where we filmed everything on our phones or recorded everything on our phones. No, I think you know, that was a very foreign concept. It still is kind of foreign for me, man. For me, it is, yeah. To, to videotape or take pictures of myself doing much of anything. Yeah. Um, whereas I know that, like, you know, when we update our Instagram stories and our fa- even our Facebook story, like people react very well to it. We actually get a lot of people that reach out and a lot of people that actually view it and send messages and comments based off things. But it, at the same time, there's just there's something weird for me. I didn't grow up in a generation that sent people pictures of themselves. Right. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? It was more like we took pictures of things that like somebody else wasn't gonna be able to see. Like, oh, like here's a mountain. Yeah. This is a really cool thing to take a picture of, so I can show all my friends in Florida this mountain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't like let me make sure that the picture is of me and the mountains just in the background, and I'll tag myself in the mountain, and everybody's gonna know. That's where that it was sh- mountain. shameless well, stuff goes on. I, it. Everybody can uh, you know can do it. So you gotta. Green screens. Yeah, you got to do it. I don't know well, what to tell I, I, play, I played a gig the other night. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should get a green screen. What are we doing? That'd be amazing. They're, yeah. they're pretty cool. I can do a chroma lie. key, but I don't even, you don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty good at video editing. Um, I've been doing that since I was a kid, actually. All right. Well, uh, then hey, yeah. Green screen. Let's make like it happen. Y'all need a green screen. You, you want to pay me for a green screen? No, <laughs> you got to pay for it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get a bed sheet then. All right. Perfect. <laughs> Have you ever tasted heaven in a glass? Do you pine for the hoppiest brews and palest ales? Do you like food? If so, then Wicked Barley is the oasis that your mouth has been wishing for, walking into the complete barren wasteland that is your life. Wicked Barley is located in Jacksonville, Florida, nestled on the banks of Goodbeast Creek. Wicked Barley aims to provide its guests with a wicked experience, offering over 18 house-brewed beers, ciders, and meats on tap. They also have an expansive gastropub-style food menu, including burgers, salads, sandwiches, and more. Whether you are a newcomer or a craft beer connoisseur, there's a little something for everyone at Wicked Barley. Visit them at 4100 Bay Meadows Drive and tell them Bottom of the Bill sent you. <laughs> so, uh, so I played a gig the other night and this like this party came down. Uh, it was like uh, there was like a banquet hall upstairs. Yeah. Uh, there was a banquet hall upstairs. The place that I was playing at, and then they all like the party that was up there came down. It was all these people like. Not probably like around our age, not much younger, but also like maybe uh, a little bit more in tune with today's culture. So this dude's like literally like like 
singing every song and like and like he's like videoing himself doing the whole thing and i i, I mean i i loved it i thought it was hilarious and it was also like fun watching him have a good time but it was also like i would not think to do that oh yeah it's a foreign concept for me as well yeah it's like we just that's kind of what i'm getting at with tiktok and all that it's like we have to get on it. if you're running a business or if you're involved in the arts in any in any way you have to kind of get on it so that's like our next hill to climb i guess is we're gonna start working on tiktok but it's just like we have to really try to figure out what it means to actually do that versus the, the new generation which is like kids are growing like kids grew up with with instagram and whatever yep. and now tiktok is a thing and they're just so used to just like documenting their entire life yeah just like pointless shit that nobody cared about 10 years ago but it's yeah. like all of a sudden people are interested now yeah man it, it's it's a wild thing uh you know what i'm saying and i'm not hating on it no neither am i because i'm just saying it's a weird I, dynamic i actually think it's real. i think it's really cool like as much as it is a foreign concept for me um there's something really cool about, you know, now now I'm I own a screen printing business and we do a lot of YouTube style content, screen printing tutorials and, you know, random stuff, but you know, we had a I had a lot of fun getting into doing that because as foreign as it was for me, I think I have a, a interesting way of putting things sometimes and I think that you know, I have an interesting design concept to how I want the video shot and how I want them edited. And even though it was weird to kind of have somebody following me around with a camera and constantly taking video footage, there was uh, an exhilarating feeling to being uncomfortable with that, but actually seeing a finished product that looks very good in the end or yeah. that, you know, people enjoyed watching. And, it, you know, not maybe it wasn't even a ton of people. You know, I mean, I think probably the best video that, we've had on YouTube my favorite video we've had on YouTube probably got less than a thousand views on it in the last eight months you know it's not crazy but man that video was a tutorial on how to screen print screen print transfers and man I was totally uncomfortable with that I was not really sh how sure how to actually do a tutorial for anything I was like, yeah, I know how to do this, you but you want me to like explain it to somebody? <laughs> well, hey, dude, I did extemporaneous public speaking when oh. I was in high school. Yeah, you're really good. So, at so I wrote like speeches and spoke in front of an audience based off of like, you know, facts or whatever I wrote out of a book just to convince somebody that I was right. But it was all agriculture related. So, like, I've been a skilled public speaker. I have no problem talking in front of people or to people. Um, but I do, it is really strange, I feel like, for me to tell anybody how to do anything. You know what I'm saying? And that was something that in the YouTube thing, like, these how-to videos are so successful. And it's like, oh, well, we should do some screen printing tutorials. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, I learned how to screen print two years ago. I'm not authorized to tell anybody how to do anything. Like, there's until a, you make there's it, a but... million guys on there that probably know how to do this better than me. But at the same time same time that that video did really well and honestly if you follow every step of that thing i am confident you will print some amazing screen print transfers yeah. you know so it's foreign but there is something kind of exhilarating about being like oh yeah as weird as this is for me sure let's let's shoot a video and i'll explain to people how i do it and then people react well to it it's a it's a pretty cool feeling you know so i think it's something that we all have to uh, it, it, all the older I say older generation, but you know, if you're 30 plus, you have to learn and you own a business or you, you work in the music industry, you've just got to learn to adapt 
and you've got to learn to become comfortable sharing that side of your life with people a little more because 100%. realistically that's what people are actually looking for. Yep. They're looking for you to just talk about it all the time to where they can't forget about it. Exactly. And if you can do that, I think you can be incredibly successful for sure, man. Uh, that's a good sign of intelligence, though, because uh, intelligent people will have something called a fraud complex. Like you're like, you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, you know, somebody much smarter or something should be doing it. Yeah, 100 percent. But that means that you're smart already because you're actually doubting yourself. <laughs> Most That's dumbos don't think twice. They're the yeah, ones jumping true. off of fucking, you know, the, the, uh, bridges into lakes. Sometimes we're yeah. also very successful, though. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Self doubt is probably the most crippling thing for every musician, for any sort of uh, entertainer oh, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, that's why you just gotta somehow. I think maybe you're right. Just to get over your uh, uh, shamefulness or whatever, you, you gotta you gotta go hand out some bills outside of yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, man. man. That got over my that got my confidence way up. I'm just like, come see my show. Come see because I was just like, do you want to see my show? He's gotta <laughs> live outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. It yeah. Just constantly be there. Yep. Um. Yeah. So I, I did want to kind of bring it back a little bit, though, because we don't have a whole lot of time left, but there's I some topics I want to touch on. Um, you, when you worked at 1904 and you were doing the promotion stuff, how did your experience in other bands help you in that role? And then, But also like maybe it, it might have hurt you a little bit at times as well. Um, so it, it definitely helped me in the sense of, you know, like I said, I was used to I was used to trying to promote multiple events in a single week or a small span of time. Um, so it definitely prepped me for kind of having three or four different things going on at once and trying to balance marketing them all equally, you know, put, put the same amount of work into everything as the next. So I think as far as hurting me, uh, you know, it, it basically just boiled down to, I played in, I want to say I got caught in a genre, but you know, I played in a scene for years that and and the music i listened to was very much based off of that scene at that point in my life and a lot of what i was into and the new bands that i was finding were bands that were coming out in that scene and that particular type of music so what what actually happened when i went into 1904 was i was completely whereas when i when i was 16 i was very in touch with what was going on in the metal hardcore community i knew which local bands were doing good there I, I knew which bands were doing good in the indie stuff, the pop rock. I knew which bands were doing good in the like the super emo indie where they were like not even facing the crowd and they're playing to their backs turned to everybody. Like I knew which bands did well in Jacksonville for those types of shows. When it came time to go into 1904 and actually take on the booking and promotions role, I didn't know a lot of bands uh, that were involved in indie music. Like, I know that there's kids and younger generation that listen to a lot of indie-style stuff right now, and I know there's bands in town that play that style of music, but I didn't really know who they were or how well they did. And as far as the promotion sides of things, it, it really boiled down to, you know, it, it helped me in the sense of I could promote different events. It, it also helped me in the sense of I was able to just have that shameless self-promotion towards the end of spore my personal account i realized that our spore page wasn't 
reaching anyone before we went on hiatus. Things we posted weren't getting there. So I had basically turned my personal profile into a mirror of everything that got posted on that Spore page. Yep. And it reached twice as many people. So when I went into 1904, I did the same thing. And I, I really sat down and kind of thought about how I could strategically schedule and plan different posts to where I was interacting with, you know, we're all creatures of habit. We wake up at a different time to get ready for work or to do what to start our day. And, you know, I may go to scrolling after 20 minutes of being awake. You may go to scrolling at an hour after being awake or an hour after you got to work. So maybe at 815, I'm scrolling. Maybe at 10, you're scrolling. And then maybe maybe Billy doesn't scroll until he gets home from work at five o'clock. Yeah. So if I'm trying to hit the most audience, then I've got to take those posts and I've got to strategically plan them at different times of the day to 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 kind of cater to whatever creature of habit you or that fan may be, whether they're on in the morning, the afternoon, the day. It was a lot of just shuffling things around. It, it also taught me to use a scheduling program. That was something that yeah. was big when I f did a lot of social media for Spore. I downloaded Hootsuite and I would use social media scheduling to schedule out a week or two worth of posts ahead of time to where I didn't really have to do anything the rest of the days. They just kind of dropped on their own right. and then I could come back and interact with the posts because let's be real, if you're constantly updating all of these social media platforms, you have almost no time to do anything else. Yeah, I, tell me it's, about it. It's a, somewhat of an exhausting job if you're <laughs> you're trying to keep TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and it, it's cool that you can share cross platforms on certain things now. That's awesome, but it doesn't take all the work aspect out of it. You know, there. No, and you also kind of have to tailor your posts to each site, so it's like. So like the, the automatic sharing from different sites is like it's 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 a it's a useful kind of tool, but it's not always practical because, you know, how you word how you word something on on Instagram might not be the same way that you need to word it on Facebook or, or you know, on other platforms in order to yeah. get the interaction, you know, absolutely. They're, they're different demographics. Yeah. So it's it's. It, so I don't even use the sharing at, uh, tools anymore. I just do separate posts and it's. It's literally the most exhausting thing. Yeah. It's just so annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it, it's man. It's tedious. Yeah, it's very tedious. It yeah. is. Yeah, and it takes a certain type of person to want to enjoy sitting down and doing that. But then, like I said, in this day and age when, you know, if you remove yourself too far from the project, you, you st it gets to that point where you start to feel like things aren't being done the way you want them to be done, you right. know? So as much of an exhausting thing as it is, it's also... I mean, let's be realistic. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into one YouTube video, but you only need one to hit a million views, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, you only need one to pop off. You can put up videos for three years and nothing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you put up one and you go, you hit a million subscribers a year later and you're sitting back going, man, all that work for those three years of video, that wasn't nothing, man, because look what this one that one thing that's all you need same, in this day and age same, is the one thing same logic that, that that it was though 30 years ago so you see that one hit yeah you see that one hit 100 percent. you know it's the same logic now it's just it, it just applies to social media you know just don't ever stop is the moral of the story that's, um, that's my moral for this whole bottom of the bill thing is do not give up as soon as you give up you lose 100 yeah. percent. so just keep it up so yeah. uh mistakes you're 90 i like that and in the grid <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, uh, mistakes that you might have made 
uh, with bands as a promoter, you know, uh, or uh, or things that you did early on, even within your own bands that you learned that you had to learn the hard way? Um, I would think the biggest thing that I learned in Jacksonville taught it to me very quickly um, when I when I transitioned from being just a kid in high school bands to a kid who wanted to play in original music bands. Um, oversaturation is a real thing. Um, and I think that is a huge mistake that really every new project kind of makes to some degree. Um, you know, you come out and you have this new music and you want to play shows and Jacksonville, as big a town as it is, is a very small town as we discussed. And, you know, the, the pull of people who listen to certain genres, not only listen to the genres, but actually spend money on a weekly basis to go out and support that music in a live setting um, is rather small. So you've got, you know, 100, 200, 300 people that live in town that are really like jam music. You know what I'm saying? And uh, pulling all of those and just say that's the number. That's the imaginary number. It, trying to pull all of them out to every single show is realistically not going to happen. Now, trying uh, also trying to pull out 50 to every show no matter how hard you try isn't always going to happen so at some point you have to realize that you know playing this many shows and and making yourself so available um is is really honestly not a good thing and i think that was a mistake that i made with almost like i said every band i've ever been in besides maybe adversaries my newer project and that's just because you we didn't really already. get the chance to play a whole lot of gigs oh. before everything got shut down, you know? Yeah. I was looking forward so, to seeing you all. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I probably would have made huge mistakes with that, too, and booked all sorts of shows had somebody let me. Yeah. But uh, that's just because I want to play music. But, you know, I, I would think that that's, that's a big learning curve for anybody involved in the industry, you know, and we talked about it where if we would have moved to St. Pete, the same thing kind of would have happened. You know, yeah. you get you get to that point where you play out too much and people just can't support you all the time. They can't always be there and always spend exactly. money. And then the crowds start to dwindle and you get that, you know, that feeling that, you know, that it's the every once in a while is far better than playing all the time, you know, yeah. and, and it just seems to work out better. So that was definitely a mistake that I made. That uh, you know, I think a lot of bands make. Everybody it, it's makes so it. easy. And no matter how to many make. times people tell you to <sighs> do that, you're just like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then you book, like you say, I'm gonna play six times this month. It comes back to wanting to share your art. You know, you've got to go now. Yeah. If you're in a cover band, yeah. that's different. Play different story. And, and y'all, can. know y'all know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Y'all have been down that road. Fresh. Y'all are musicians that have been involved in it. Yeah. You know, I I did the cover thing with the Hounds for a good portion of time, and you could play. You could play this bar and play the bar next door the next night and the bar next door the next night and the bar next door the next night. Doesn't matter, okay? As long as the bar's got its own built-in following and as long as people are there every single night, it don't matter, dude. Now, yeah. you've got the bars that don't do super well and, and you play them one, about it. <laughs> you play them one time and, yeah, they get <laughs> It's like, oh, where's your crowd? It's like, bro, you booked a fucking cover band. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, what's your, man, what's yeah. your room cost? How much are we selling tickets that for? Let's so be real. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's it very just, interesting, <laughs> man. Yeah. Uh, that Sea Chasers, uh, I, that, that was, you know, bringing it back to the beginning. It's yeah. Old Sea Chasers, I play there now, yeah. and they're great. Oh, yeah, Old yeah, 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 yeah. But it was just so funny. It's like people were coming to this, no offense to Blue Rock, I guess, but... Mm-hmm. 
this crappy little place, and then we play at the old sea teachers, I guess now, and then the yeah nobody's there, nobody's there, and they got oh, really yeah, 100%. And, they, and they got the really upset. No, they got really there's just so so before we even started playing, the bartenders were like, so where's your crowd? Oh yeah, it's crowd? like um excuse me. Uh, if you first off, you should just have an entertainment budget if you're having live music. Yes. Like any other expense that you might yes. that you might build build into your budget, you should just have that. And if you don't, and you're expecting us to make up for it, you are in the wrong industry. Yeah. yeah because yeah. your your atmosphere, your food, and your service should just do that trick. And we should be able to keep your crowd and entertain them. We are not here to bring. Your crowd for you. Yes. Is that why we tell got me fired what your room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me what your room costs. <laughs> tell me what we're selling tickets for, and we'll go from there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, man. It's it's a it's a weird element, man. And I and I get it. Um, having worked in the venue, I can sympathize for you know in an in a live original live music venue, a ticketed room. Yeah. You know. Uh, bartenders and industry people, you know, especially a booking agent, like we make our money based off of how many people show up to the party that night. Yeah. You know, it's very dependent upon how many people show up. But your side of it, it makes sense, though. Now, if you're in a restaurant or a bar situation and you just have music every Friday and Saturday night, you should be able to afford that whether I bring a single person through the door or not. Yeah. That is is your thing. You decided to have music on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm just the guy you called to show up and play it. Yeah. Oh, you're pissed that we didn't bring anybody? Talk to your chef or look in the mirror. I'll tell you. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) one of those things where I had – it's funny. The Hounds played the Sea Chasers when it first transferred (laughs) over, and we had had a similar situation. But here's what's funny is we had nobody that actually nobody, came out that, that knew us, okay? Right. Yeah. But we played, like, uh, old rock, classic rock, country, you know, all sorts of weird stuff. It, it, it was it was different. It was no, no other cover band that I knew of was playing as weird and diverse of a set list as we were because it was a lot of old Americana, classic rock, like, and country. Yeah. And it, so when we played in there... Nobody showed up for us, but all of a sudden, man, I don't know if it was people just heard it outside or what was going on, but old people just started pouring in that place like it was going out of style, man. And then they all got in the swanky chairs and they all ordered wine and, you know, cheese trays or whatever the hell you eat at Sea Chasers. And they (laughs) sat down and they hung out and they just kept drinking. And what was funny is we got booked again. I'm at the bar. Getting a getting a beer on the set break. Yeah, I'll, never, I'll never forget it. Twelve. The bartender's beer. looking at me, going, "Yo, man, so your people finally showed up?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude." And I turned around and was like, "What's up, people?" You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. and some table that was right there was like, "Woo!" You know, and then everybody else kind of wooed behind me, and I was like. That couldn't have worked out anymore. Perfect <laughs> yeah. right there. I was like, yeah, I know every single one of these dudes. That's my grandma. That's my grandpa. That's, yeah. that's my brother. That's his best friend over there. But but they loved it, and they booked us to come back. Now, the second time we played, not the same thing. Yeah. yeah we didn't bring the crowd that they were looking for us to bring. And unfortunately, this uh, pouring of old people didn't show up. So it was kind of like uh, the end of the night kind of rolled around, and it looked pretty grim, and it's – Hey, if you want to keep playing here, we're expecting, you know, 30, 40 people in the room. And at that point in time, I was already working at 1904 a little bit towards the end of the Hounds Project. And I just kind of looked at him and was like, listen, man, I work in a ticketed room every night. Like, and we're not expecting 
the band to bring 30, 40 people. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what you want me to say, but if people are paying eighteen fifty for a grilled mahi sandwich, That's then not even that you good. should be able to afford to pay me $100 a man to come in here and play for a few hours. At and if least, you can't, bro. Then feel free to not book us anymore. Or just music in general. That's, Fuck that's you. That's the minimum. Yeah. 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 And, and like I said, man, there you're always going to have places that, especially in those industries, man, people are trying to cut costs. You know, I, I, I've i been in a sales industry where. They don't have a luxury industry, service in. I don't have to tell you. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you very much. But, you know, I, sometimes I try to go back to like, I'm sure there's a manager who's really just trying to manage a restaurant and he's got some dickhead boss who's like, yo, every Friday and Saturday night, I'm paying 350 bucks, 400 bucks for a band to come in here, and still nobody's in here in oh, the bar drinking. It's and the it's pecking like, order for sure. That's that's exactly what it like, is, yeah. but it's just like you're grossly misinformed. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But at the same time, those people, you know, they end up just being dicks to people like us, yeah. which in the end, we, we see how that works. I mean, the bars that have run out, all the bands in town that were worth a shit are the bars that don't seem to do so well anymore and kind of just go under. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's only so many times you can have blah, 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 blah cover band play that nobody's heard of or is into or bring in cover bands from Georgia or wherever else because nobody in Jack's wants to play your establishment. Yeah. You know, I mean... Dude, I got told at an open mic night on the north side one time Oof. that if we wanted to play the open mic to work on getting a gig at this venue, and I'm not going to say what the venue is because I just don't want to say it. It's probably Dick's but, Wings. I, yeah, I know it's, I know it's, I know it's Dick's Wings. I already know it's Dick's Wings. Dude, I'll give a I had this guy tell me, I had this guy tell me that unless I brought 40 people out to the open mic, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we weren't even gonna get a chance to get up there and play a few tunes. Yeah. Which would then get us a gig at the restaurant. I mean, you want to. And it was one of those things where I was like, "Yo, bro, like we decided we were coming here 16 minutes ago." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we were sitting at the house and we were like, "We ain't got shit else to do. Want to go to Dick's Wings? Sure, sounds great." Fucking new. You know <laughs> we went to Dick's Wings. We just came up in here and realized that all oh, y'all were slack a lacking up here on this damn stage. And I wanted to show you a thing or two. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was, dude, at that point, if you're going to be an asshole, I have no issue being an asshole back. So, it, you know, it was just one of those things where I'm like, ah, oh, dude, you know, we just realized this is pretty lackluster. I was like, the the four guys that were playing up there, is this, there are 30, 40 people here yeah. in the restaurant? These 10 guys over there? Yeah. At the bar? <laughs> and that one chick that's dancing? I, she's his wife, right? Yeah. You know, like, get out of so, here. Don't, don't give me an attitude about to, it. We used I, to have a, 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 a restaurant owner, bar manager, whatever, that would be like, have you ever seen Guns N' Roses before? Man, they played for three and a half hours straight. Why do you all take breaks? Oh, yeah, that was an A1A. <laughs> yeah. Bro. And I'm like, um, bro. okay. Bro. You want to pay us fucking it's $20 like, million dollars to play your show? All right, we'll do that. Bro, it's, it's like, I'll, I'll tell you oh, what, bro. I'll, I'll tell you what, bro. How about your open mic, mic brings out 50 people and I fucking might play it. How about yeah. that, bro? Yeah. The fuck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> Are you yeah. serious? But, but there's places like that, man. And realistically, like I said, those places are going to get weeded out by all the serious musicians in town. They're all going to go there. They're going to play there one time. Then they're going to be like, no, nah, this ain't happening ever again. And they won't go back there. But it, it's a uh, 
restaurants and bars, man, I mean, they, they've they've got to realize that you got to have a built-in fan base before you start trying to throw events. It's a luxury you service, know? bro. I don't buy, I'm not buying a fucking Jaguar if I can't afford one. You know, I'm not going to expect the Jaguar to pay for my lifestyle. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like yes. you want a luxury service, you buy the luxury service when you have the budget to do it. Just put it into your budget and don't expect them to pay for it. It's You know what I mean? It's just like it, it's as simple as that. I, I don't know the restaurant industry the bar industry like that so i can't tell you how to run your business but i do know that music is a luxury service yeah and, and that you, you have to build it into your budget otherwise it doesn't work you do bring people out you get more money i think this should be the end of it sure yeah well, That's yeah fine. you if would you would think that yeah, right because because at times <laughs> i have you know i you know man i always it, one thing that i can rest super well about is tab. that any deal that i was able to work out when I worked as a booking agent for the three years, man, I feel like I worked out pretty killer deals. There were a lot of nights where nobody really made any money, okay? Me included. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, any night where a show did really well, bands would walk out with amounts of money that they were just totally blown away by. And it was one of those things where they're sitting here like, really? You're going to pay me all that? And I'm sitting here going, well, yeah, I mean, the show did really good, like, that was the whole deal, right? It was yeah. like, you know, we got to pay for the room. I got to pay for the staff and everybody who works here. And then from there, y'all are going to make most of the money. Like, most of the money goes to the bands. Well, dude, I it, and it was a foreign concept. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things where people were looking at me going, what do you mean? Like, I, you know, I was, I figured we'd make a couple hundred bucks. And it's like, no, bro, I got like 1,200 bucks for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember handing the, I, these these kids in this band, Flip Turn, man. Oh, incredible yeah. band, Flip dude. Fernandino. And uh, and I booked them uh, their first show at 1904 and then booked them over and over and over again all the way till they were selling out that room. And I did multiple sold out shows with them in that room. But, dude, I, I can't even tell you. The look on these kids' faces the first time I brought them back to pay them out on a sold-out show. You know what I'm saying? And they're literally, I'm like, all right, so here's how the breakdown works, and here's how the numbers go. And in the end, this is going to be your 75% of the sold-out show. I've already taken care of all the supporting bands. Everything's good to go. And they're sitting there like, is that supposed to have a two and a comma? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you made a lot of money tonight. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, good job. Good on you for doing something awesome and killing it. And and realistically, it should work that way. But we've all played the shows, you know, I and me included, where you know I opened for a, a giant band at Freebird, uh, the almost Aaron Gillespie from Underos Band yeah. in, in early two thousands at Freebird. I sold a hundred twenty dollar tickets, yeah. and we walked out at the end of the night with like a hundred bucks. You, you know what I'm saying? Now God bless Tim Hall, cause great dude. And he, he definitely brought it back to me later in life by booking me on so you, many gigs that I would have never gotten without him. But at the same time, you, there's got to be an understanding of what support costs. And when, and when you're playing these these bigger gigs, you know, when we opened for Blues Traveler, Spore opened for Blues Traveler, I wasn't expecting to get paid very much. You know what I'm saying? It was more to get to open for Blues Traveler. Right. Because you know? you're not bringing people out to that show, really. No, but everybody's gonna... coming to see Blues Traveler yeah. already. Like, yeah. we're just the, the opening. We're the appetizer for Blues Traveler, right. okay? We're the, we're the appetizer for John getting up here all hopped out on cocaine and blowing in the <laughs> harmonica for an hour. Okay? Let's be realistic, yeah. all right? So, that that's what, is what it is. That's what but it is. But you, you have to be aware of that, and... 
you know, you got to be able to negotiate those things. It all kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, negotiating those kind of how many situations. How many times I've just said yes to a show without a counter offer, man, just because I'm just like, well, if I counter, <laughs> they're just going to fucking say no. They're yeah, just going to yeah. say no. And it's like, that's just not true. Like, and like and like they'll let you know that they're going to say no before they say no most of the time too. Oh, yeah, those those but hey man listen I, like I we can't do that. So if you want the show this is what it is. Either, it's like they're not just gonna be like no sorry unless they offer you something like hey what well, we can give you you know 10% of the sales after expenses blah yeah. blah. And you want to like, I want $1000 and they're like no. And you, you know, know what, what I mean? man? I can actually remember back to booking a gig with you yeah. where I made y'all an offer and you did. You counter offered hey. me on the percentage on the back end. I did. And I was like, cool. Yeah. Let's do it. That was, I was like, sure. That this was, is what I can give you, man. Like, I, I, I don't know if we were able to get quite to the number that you were at, but I think we got closer to where we were at yeah if we didn't get there like i remember that show exactly that 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 was the first time i'd really tried tried that because i was like you know what i'm just gonna throw it out there and see what happens i want to play the show but at the same time it's like you know we're we're we're, because it wasn't like a big band coming through they they were an out-of-town act uh Mm -hmm. and uh and i was like you know what i know that we're gonna be like the main band on the bill so let me throw back a number and just see what happens wait we were at the top of the bill no, <laughs> that's good though. Thank you. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, bottom <laughs> of the um, hey, but, but actually, I did. I did want to before we wrap it up. God damn it! So I still have so much I want. I know ask. I did too. But, I know I didn't have to work, but um, I got to. So. I do want to. I just want to kind of ask you. There is w- something that I really do want to ask you. Is uh, uh, if you have like a bigger headliner on a bill, and you have supporting acts, what just on on average, what what does a typical show structure look like for that? So like as far as like how the the payment works and 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 percentages and you know tickets so so to give a completely transparent idea into the industry because obviously I don't do it anymore yeah um, typically with like a big band let, let's say we're getting uh, let's let's say dumpster funk okay yeah. I'm peg them out all right a band that you know costs thousands of dollars a night you know what i'm saying on an off night maybe wednesday or thursday you could get them for maybe uh, and and this is me rough quoting off of my my experience with them don't take it as a word but you know anywhere between two to five k depending upon an off night or like a saturday night banging night sure okay um usually you'll get the manager offer you know hey this is what the guarantee is going to cost and then from there on a lot of these big shows budgets for supporting acts are already kind of worked out in the situation from the very beginning it's kind of one of those things where it's like hey you know we're we need five grand for saturday night and we'll give you and let's spend 500 bucks on support sometimes the the touring act already has a supporting act with them which at that point being a local venue you're like oh hey your tour support probably doesn't have any draw in jacksonville i need to get a local act on here that's going to actually hopefully bring some people to see Hey, this show, hey, Dumps the Funk is great, but I also need another band on here to help me get some people in the room. Guarantee that this show is going to be a hit. At that point, like I said, the the budget's already structured in for support. So, you know, if they say, hey, we need 350 bucks for the band that's touring with Dumps the Funk, well, then we're sitting back going, okay, so we got $150 that we can pay to a local band to come and open this thing up, which is realistically not nothing, right? I mean, it's nothing. So... But at the same time, a lot of those budgets get worked in, and that's where in situations where I tried to offer percentages on back ends, like things like that where it's like, hey, I can't offer you really much up front, but like if the show does well, I can, in fact, make sure you make some money here. And a lot of times it's it's a very 
structured thing you know they send over an offer and you're more than welcome to send back a counter offer as you know we were just t discussing to these these larger acts but obviously when you're a venue that's trying to get a big band in there you're trying to get something that you think's gonna make the bar quite a bit of money in a night you're weary to push back too hard especially with a band of that caliber so it's like oh well can we get 600 for support but realistically the support's not coming out of the manager's budget the support's coming out of the venue's budget so now it's like okay i gotta pay dumpster funk 5k but i also have to budget six five hundred dollars for support on this show so now instead of the show costing me 5500 or 5000 bucks plus room cost now it costs me 5500 bucks plus room cost i gotta find a local band that's okay for playing for 150 bucks with this band you know for a 30 45 minute set and then i gotta hope that everything goes okay in the end and at the end of the night we make what you know 6500 dollars back to pay all the staff to pay their guarantee to pay all the sport guarantee and then at that point i the promoter's starting to make some money or the yeah, agent's right. starting to make some money you know what i'm saying right. so it's a it's a weird situation man and you know a, a lot of times with local events especially you know events with bands like y'all that have a, a decent draw in jacksonville and can be paired with out-of-town bands to make a good show you know, you got to go in offering, hey, you know, uh, my deals were a lot of times, let's cover the room expenses, and then y'all take 70, 80% of everything after that, and I'll work off 20, 30%. You Plus know the what sales tax, which people always forget about, which is something I always forget sales about. Sales tax too. is a huge thing yeah. in there, and it, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of the smaller venues, you know, don't charge you sales tax, because let's be realistic, a lot of these smaller bars are running on, like, cash operations yeah. where... Not much is going on, but then when you step into a venue like 1904 or you know even Jackrabbits or something like that, at the end of the night, the breakdown comes around. These are businesses that realistically do run a lot of cash sales. They might be audited. They stand a very good chance of getting audited. You got to pay sales tax. Like yeah. that's that's a real thing. Like yeah, of course. you can't run away from that. You know. <laughs> yeah. So and I'll tell you what, I've been late on my sales tax from a screen print business before. They will charge you hard for that. <laughs> Don't forget to pay your sales tax. All right. Because let me tell you, if you're a day late, it's like fifty bucks. All right. And if you're a month late. Oh my God! You know, I was like, I was almost there, and was like, "Don't do that to me, please, no!" Like, I got the money yeah, right here. Here's all the papers. Bud. Like, psh, I wasn't trying to screw on y'all. I just got busy. You know, <laughs> like, get out of here, man, Chris. I wish we could talk on that. I swear to God, this has been a really uh, informative conversation. But we got, we got to wrap it up, man. I gotta go to work. I don't know what to tell you. I hear you, all man. Right. I hear you. So right. Let's do rapid fire uh, unpopular opinions. You got one still? Yeah. I do. I have we'll an unpopular we'll opinion. We'll say saviors for last. Oh man. So right. uh, mine is uh, I don't like uh, touch like the touch screens on the phones for texting. Mm. That shit fucking sucks. So you'd rather have a BlackBerry? Cordy keypad. Yes. Keypad like a sidekick. 100%. Bro, at least I get or at least at least even with the Nokia's where I could fucking hit it three times and knew exactly which letter I was on. I'm gonna outlive you like for so long. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm with you, bro. I'm not a touchscreen. Talk about being resistant to technology. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, what hate I'm trying to I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Did you know that uh, your nose is actually like the exact same like uh, 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 I guess texture or whatever for your uh, phone? I'm holding two things right now. And I can is that your unpopular opinion? No, it's not. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how. But you, you Random tidbit. You can't, you can't do that with a BlackBerry. That's all I'm trying <laughs> to say. All right, all right. My first unpopular opinion is I don't understand why the Bernie meme is so funny. I, 
I understand. I feel you. I, I just don't get why it's so funny. It's not funny at all. It's not funny to me. It's just like I like I get, I get why it's so popular. It's like oh he's like sitting there, but I just don't know why it's so funny. Yeah, I, I don't think I I've, I've I saw You're one. On my side. Yeah, I saw one where it was like the the uh, the the scene with Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct. Oh yeah, and it was her, and it was just birdie. That, that was the only funny one How that I saw. The all, it, the one that I really enjoyed was he's like the MMA fighter and he's got the yeah, dude's arm pulled he's, up he's in got, his hands and the, yeah, and the he's got Conor McGregor that, in the that was like the, the one lock. that I was really like oh okay this, right, this, is funny this tickles me but whatever but uh, most of them are really dumb yeah, I will most say. of them are, are pretty okay, maybe it's not that unpopular but it, it, right now it seems to be the mm. thing okay Number so two. My, my second one is uh, I'm not really a big fan of drinking beer anymore Oh, kind of over beer. Okay. Really? All right. Fair just, enough. You know, I, liquor is just easier for me to drink. Beer gets you yep. bloated yep. And, and it makes you burp a lot. Yep. And uh, and liquor is just like I can just kind of sip it and just chill. And I only something. have hangovers when I drink beer. Exactly. I only exactly. have hangovers when I drink I've beer. I've had a hangover for about two years straight. So yes. <laughs> there was one beer night. Has anything to the, do there, with there was one night where, where, where Billy and I, Billy and I stayed up till like six a.m. just uh, smashing records in the middle of the street. Got hammered. Oh, breaking records is Bra- what I call yeah. it. Breaking records. Yeah. Breaking records. <laughs> just you go outside and you fucking get a five dollar record for, or not five dollar dollar record from the fucking flea market. You go outside and break it. And the we street. were just we yeah, were we were records, we we were singing Beatles. Tunes at the top of our lungs, smashing records in the road yeah, till six a.m. Uh, and it was just liquor, and I was I was aggressively hungover the next day. Yeah, mm. but I will. That was how was know, I doing? You were fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Irish for you. I don't I, know what to tell you. I woke up and didn't even know where I was, and you were just like, oh, it's just another day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sunday. It was no problem. Sunday. Sunday. Sundays are rough. Sunday. All right, number two. Um, I want it to stay winter forever, and even this perfect weather right now is annoying to me. Okay. It's I, too hot outside for I me. prefer cold weather. You do? I do. How do you live in Florida? You I do. You grew up in Florida and everything? Dude, it's I, cold I, jacks, bro. I would totally rather be cold all the time. Me too. I all agree. the time. It gets cold in jacks, so it does. Remember when they used to have husky, husky boys? Yeah. yeah. I'm a husky boy they all day. They don't have... They don't have husky boy jeans anymore. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> exactly, because you're so thin and beautiful. Okay. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> My, uh, yes. That used to be a thing. Yes. You're like, uh, I'm, I'm a husky 16. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so my last unpopular opinion is I'm totally okay with nepotism and cronyism. What's, what's the last word you said? Cronyism? cronyism. I've never heard of that word. It's what where you hire your friends, and nepotism is where you hire your family. Hire your family? Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I, think, I think that's awful. Yeah. Uh, uh, look at the last uh, fucking... Uh, look at Andrew Schultz. Are you familiar with Andrew Schultz? No. He's a comedian that's basically just changed the game of comedy. Okay. And who I've been taking notes from for years now because comedy and, and music basically work in the same exact way. Yeah. So I've been taking notes for him. From He's 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 a, a, a marketing genius, but also a really funny comedian. And he basically just like he, – he started this new Netflix thing that he's been doing. It's like a 15-minute rant, that's and it's really good. funny. Uh, he doesn't like it, but it's really funny. Okay. Um, okay. And he hi- <laughs> he basically just brought on his like like the people that he trusted that he knew from different aspects of of you know life or whatever. Mm. And one dude didn't even know how to use Adobe Premiere, and then made their trailer and everything in like 
two days and it looks dope as fuck. Huh? And then well, hey. and on top and then like all his joke writers are just like people that he's they've kind of been with him from the from the beginning. Okay. Weren't necessarily the most qualified people, but people that have been with him from the get go. You know, the loyalty. Yeah. And he was just like, you know what? I could bring on people that I don't know that are probably more qualified, but I'm gonna build my team. I'm going to build my loyal people and this is what's going to happen. And he did and it's great and he's killing it. And why not just hire your people regardless of, uh, of what? Well, if they're yeah. willing to put in the work, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Nepotism's uh, okay in like a family business, but when it comes to the government and, you know, uh, uh, the fucking chairs and uh, the board, like, uh, that's not very good. Like, well, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm just. just all of his family, I'm not talking like, about. Well, I'm not talking about that. That's I'm just, not good. I'm just saying. I'm just saying <laughs> that it's it's not a it's not, it's not a bad principle <laughs> it's on, not on its own. It can be used in in bad ways, you know. But I'm just saying that like, uh, uh, if somebody's like, well, you know, you might be more qualified, but I'm gonna hire my cousin on this because you know whatever and and your cousin's a hard worker they'll learn how to do the job correctly yeah why not who yeah. you know everybody knows that. yeah it's like every relate every gig that we've gotten or most gigs we've gotten or most situations that we've been in uh where that have been in favor of us i knew paul no sh- <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's 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 based but it is because it is because that we've we've been We've we've developed relationships with people over time, yeah. and even though it's like, well, you know, maybe this per- maybe maybe this person might be better, but I've like been developing this relationship with you. Yeah. Let me give you the opportunity instead. We get 100%. it. We understand what nepotism yeah. is. Yeah. I'm just saying. All right, no, I, say, I, I, I say that's one, good. I say this one for last because I thought it'd be really funny to say. Uh, Lucky Costell is better than Spore. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Uh, ever. Dude, I, best I, I really liked Lucky Costello a lot. So I mean, oh, I, I don't. I, I liked Lucky <laughs> Costello a lot. I liked Lucky. I didn't say I agreed, but I, I liked Lucky <laughs> Costello a lot. I don't know who started that whole fucking thing, but it was so fucking funny because yeah, we both played into it, and then we meet behind stage, and we're like, "This shit's fucking hilarious." Yeah, it was. It was interesting, man. I heard it from everyone else. Everyone like, else, it, right? yeah, That's everyone else kind of seemed to think that there was like this. Spore Lucky Costello beef. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, no, I genuinely don't know any of those guys really at all. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I honestly just met those dudes like a few months ago at some random CD bar over there. Like, yeah. th- this dude lives in the back of. Like, I don't really know much about this at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's actually pretty funny. I tell, you, I tell you a story. I, I went down to Orlando to play a show, uh, uh, and I wasn't even in Lucky Costello. No, you were, it was with I was us. With, yeah. with Side Hustle, and I had this person come up to me and. Uh, uh, we were talking. It's like, oh, you, you're from Lucky, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just goes, "This fucking oh, whoop!" Just goes up to me, and just like, ah, "Sports better." Right in my face. And I'm like, "How did it get down this?" Sounds like far? something a wook would say. Yeah. Sounds like something a wook would say. No, that's for Donnie to fucking to hear. It yeah, 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 Donnie will really enjoy that. Yeah, I'm that's sure. A funny one. <laughs> but I just, I, I just. There was never any animosity between. No, it. absolutely it was just not. So fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was one of those things and where we never said it. It was always the. Yeah, it, it always. I, I, f- I feel like it was silently, a lot of uh, our individual fans or friends that were like closer to either y'all or closer to us that kind of just had like this like, oh yeah, well, I'm a spore I or just, like oh yeah, Lucky Costello, you know. And it was it was interesting, man, because I, I it seemed to get that vibe just about everywhere from everybody. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, 
you know that we're like don't have any issues, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, like I actually, I genuinely don't know how many conversations I've had with any of them. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I couldn't tell you if I like the guy or not right yeah. now. You know, what I, mean? I may love these dudes. Like, I just don't know. But uh, but it's interesting, man. It, it, it was yeah, like like you said, it was really funny. It, it's just people would just come up to you and just let you know. Yeah, well, you know, I will say that I I, I believe that it probably pushed both of our bands exactly. to kind of do more than we were doing yeah. because if anything it was a, a proper i don't want to say rivalry but a proper rivalry you know yeah, and it was yeah. like hey we kind of do the same thing and we're kind of pulling from the same fan base we're from the same town it's great marketing we're, we're trying to come up at the same time like yeah i mean puts wait, butts into seats man it was this great, great. Man. Yeah. tupac yeah. and biggie bro that's all i gotta say Represent <laughs> <You're> fucking big, <laughs> but uh, uh, great okay. marketing. All right, you got your last one. I, I, uh, is it Dave Matthews? Is it Dave Matthews? No, it's definitely not <laughs> Dave Matthews. But I feel like y'all could not have set me up much better with your record-breaking story. I do not like the Beatles. <gasps> wow, that's his favorite band, which is hilarious because that's the most white bread, like plain fucking band to love. But so, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Huge amount of respect for them as musicians and what they did for music culture and rock and everything else. Huge amount of respect. Incredible great songwriters even. But I cannot count, I there's never been a time that I've been driving in my vehicle and been like let me put on some Beatles. I'm gonna put the Beatles on. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Hmm. And it is I don't tell many people because I usually get this the reaction that's just like do you know what they are? They're You're a musician of, and you don't like the Beatles? And I'm like, ah, no, nah, it just doesn't resonate with me. Like, yeah. I don't know what you want me to say. Like, and even, even I, uh, what was the movie that came out where they redid all the Beatles songs? Oh, uh, Across the Universe. Uh, yeah, you know what? And I actually enjoyed a lot of the songs much more on that soundtrack than that, I had those ever are great enjoyed renditions. actual Beatles songs. But, like I said, huge amount of respect for what they've they, they did for music and what you know the respect for what they brought to the culture but at the same time just not something that ever really ticked me you know and uh, it's a yeah, very unpopular opinion i it, it is a little unpopular i was gonna say they're kind of like the william shakespeare of music right now you know where it's like you respect it a lot but then like you're not gonna fucking sit down and read william shakespeare nah. uh i listen to the beatles yeah, regularly dude and and listen that's that's great you know what I'm saying? I'm glad that people do. They kind of played you know out. They kind of saying? played out, the Beatles. But you know? my, I, I, like I, said, <laughs> I would agree with you, Bill. <laughs> I would agree with you, Billy. All right, they're a little played out. Let's be real here. Um, uh, but yeah. Abbey Road and Sgt. Pepper's will never, ever be played out. Those are some of the best records of all time. Yeah, I got but, a you hole know. in my pocket. That's a great song. Anyways, keep going. You have... <laughs> Bill, <laughs> this guy's got no backbone. Yeah, it's just oh, him man. and I hanging out. It's like, oh, I fucking love the Beatles, bro. Like, as soon as somebody else is like, I don't like the Beatles. Like, I, I don't get it either. It's like, bro, you're fucking. You're I do just, like the Beatles. You're like one of those like weasel I was. kids. I'm playing to the crowd. I guess I'm on a camera, so I kind of have to become. You don't yeah, have to yeah, do yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're acting. Uh, anyways, um, well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. Oh, yo, it. man. Thank you all for fun. having me. There's uh, so many more questions that I have and stuff, so maybe we'll probably get you on again at yeah, some point. Say, oh, yeah. Let's two. definitely do it. Let's try Let's try to get you all on maybe the our podcast at some point. I'd love to do that, man. So uh, the Together We Print podcast, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but yeah, really cool screen printing shop in Jacksonville, Florida called 
grind time clothing concepts and it's just kind of a weekly update on what we got going on in the shop so right. check it out wherever you're at and uh Hopefully we can get y'all on at some point to talk like some let's band let's merch. Do that. Hell you yeah. know what I'm saying? Something like Nobody that would be cool. Definitely, us on our podcast. Dude, we, we, let's do it. We definitely, actually with the new album coming out, we need a whole line of shit. So dude, let's do let's it. Let's talk. Make it happen. Hell yeah. All right, bro. Thanks Anyways, for being on. Yeah, yeah man. See you guys Comic next time. Chris. Adios, muchachos. Peace.